called while you said that. Let's kick it in the dick! Do it! Best albums of the 80s, motherfucker! Time to get real. Fucking do it. You alright, Troops? We're back again. I promise we'll be back this time. Yes. Forever. Never leaving you. Again. Especially not when we're body deep in this motherfucker. Too fucking right. Tell the people what's happening, you. Top 15 best albums of the 19 fucking 80s. What's happening next week, you? Fucking top 20, maybe, probably. 15, maybe. That's good. Of the 90s. We might get Dylan in, so we yeah. fucking 60 albums. What goes after that, Lewis? The 2000s. Best albums. Best albums of fucking ever. Yeah, we're too good to you, aren't we? Right, the 80s. Now, neither of us were there, were we? So I believe, as Mike well, DeMarco, really, as Mike DeMarco so eloquently put it, we weren't actually born, so just massive posers and pieces of shit. Yes. But the 80s were fucking <laughs> sick. Looking back, I had quite a hard time with this, did you? No, well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit, like, there's like, I like a lot of songs from the 80s. Yeah. Because they're so cheesy and shit, but they're also fucking fantastic. I definitely, man, definitely. But like, more albums came easier than others, like the top 10 was easy. Filling it the, the next five or the bottom five were, was uh, quite difficult. Yeah, I was the same, because I got my top 10. Then I had like six or seven albums, so just deciding which ones of them wouldn't make it. Like I think number fifteen was the hardest part of the whole thing for me. Yeah. Like it's deciding what to cut, and then I did that, and then realised I forgot an album, so I had to do it again. And then when I woke up this morning before I came here to do this shit, I realised I forgot a very, very fucking good album that came out at the very end of the eighties. So I had to go in and redo it all again. So I had to put out this actual top 15 three times and I'm still not sure. I'm never for sure. I'm still not 100%. But yeah, this is going to be a fucking long one. Probably. So, you see that? See that? <laughs> Aye. Get yourself a wee cider. I know we have. A wee, yes. wee cup of tea, a wee biscuit. Anything that's not got meat in it. Yeah. Yeah, fuck meat. <laughs> but also fuck the Smiths, we'll get there. So <laughs> All good time. Before we kick into the 15, let's talk about shit that we had to leave out. So, what didn't make your list, June? Um, There's albums I forgot about. Right, that's okay. I'm sure like... It just like, totally flew over my head. Yeah. Like the one that I had to add this morning. Yes, it's ended up very high in mine. I'm a fucking idiot. Like, um, nah, like... I've noticed when we're talking about this top albums of the 80s that, and then talk about the 90s one, that the 90s one I, I can think of more off the top of my head, purely because like, yeah. it's like almost it eclipses what we listen to now, because it was such mm-hmm. a big influence, that was kind of like the last big thing that happened, you know, the 90s grunge and fucking... Yeah, uh, sure, like if we thought this week was hard, next yeah, week the 90s is going to be brutal. fucking impossible to do. So <laughs> brutal. Yeah, what were you? You left out. I left out. Yeah, I had to leave out Bauhaus, which couldn't make my list. Napalm Death Scum, which I really wanted to be in. Uh, Big Black Songs About Fucking didn't make my list, despite being incredible. Big up Steve Albini. I'm sure he's he's gonna come up a lot. I think, like through all the specials, we'll have something to say about Albini. I know there's an album on mine that he did. No, he's done I Am Nine. Did he do Fugazi? No, I didn't do Fugazi, did he? No, I don't actually know who did Fugazi. 
Probably then. Yeah. I'm not too sure. I suppose we can get to that when we cover for Gazi. Yeah. yeah, I missed out a lot of like the shit I wanted to put in. Like, as a pure hardcore Wayne, there's not really much hardcore in mine. You know, like, definitely not as much as I thought there would be. Mm. I think the 80s was the time for like weird pop music to me. Yeah, it. yeah. As I said, like the 80s, I had a lot of good songs, a lot of good pop. Yeah. Like Madonna and that, that could be a potentially future specials, the best pop songs of the 80s. Yeah, there's <laughs> a few people that I'm sure would absolutely do that. But maybe, uh, maybe one day further down the line. Yeah, I think if we allowed like, more than one album per artist, this yeah. list would be at least 30. Yeah, definitely. 30 yeah. albums long. Just looking at some of mine, I know they did like much better albums like picking a Cure album for me was quite hard yes because uh, well, yeah. it, it came down to me like I'll not spoil what we've got but it was like pornography kiss me kiss me kiss me and disintegration which I mean is like picking your wains yeah <laughs> like there's three children yeah um, but yeah it was, it's been a tough ride but we're here we're finally here you kick us off you and geezer number 15 so in my number 15 slot I've got Sonic Youth Daydream Nation Oh, aye, aye. So I thought this would have been higher. A legendary years. band, not really one that you'd always think of, but they're definitely yeah. legendary. Ah, I forgot them. Yeah. <laughs> this was like just, it was in, it released in 1988, and it's a 70 minute long double album. It's, it's I'd say it set the kind of uh, grounds for like me and Liz and our friend Dylan have been talking a lot about Godspeed and like post rock. Yeah. I think this definitely set a lot of the uh, trends that are used in the post-rock genre yeah that's not very, like very long songs and just it's not like shit. before we go too far in it's not like point about the 80s it was a time where a lot of shit came up and there's a lot of like influential records yeah so we were talking about this yesterday it came down to like finding the perfect balance between influential and amazing when it yes. came to doing the albums yeah this yeah. one probably comes in the more influential it's a pretty as i said big beast to to handle I mean, the title track alone is seven minutes long, but it is a fucking <laughs> screamer of a track. It's more melodic than uh, the previous stuff. I've not really dug into the discography. I've really listened to only this and, and Goo, which was the album I think came after this. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's, it's a definite, definite like one you need to listen to if you're in, if you're into kind of like post punk, post rock, kind of a bit of shoegaze in there maybe. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, I definitely consider them one of the big bands in that scene forming. Yeah, it's like in grunge as well. I'm fairly sure Kurt Cobain and particularly Kurt Cobain and people like the Tad and people in the Jesus Lizard. And I think Kurt Cobain's going to come up in a lot with shit that influenced. Yeah, them. yeah. yeah it's, it's like the 80s was like he, he loved like Stu. You know, that's the 70s, but like it eclipsed kind of his uh, childhood. Get I guess. Stuff from the eighties like punk and hardcore and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely. Got, I mean, Daydream Nation. If you've got time, if you've got yeah. thirty minutes spare, I mean, like, what should I do? Listen to Daydream Nation. That's on it. Yeah. Great. I think there'll be a lot of that when we get to the fucking nineties, and I've got to talk about Swans. Swans in your last. Hell yeah, I'm soundtracking the blind mate. Which you could also argue is influenced by this album terribly, terribly important. Oh yeah. I think Sonic Youth are one of the bands I had my first encounter with them from Guitar Hero. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on fucking Guitar Hero 3. So that was like my first introduction to them. And I remember, you know, I was like 11 when I first played that game. I found that amazing that they had like a female vocalist. Yeah, Phyllis are the only one that's on that game. Yeah, it's Guitar Hero yeah, 3 funny you should mention that as like a reason why one of my albums is quite <laughs> high up. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so what was number 15? Right, my number 15, again, talking about that influential thing, is one of the most important punk albums ever. It's the Bad Brains with Bad Brains. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, without the Bad Brains, you don't get Gorilla Biscuits, you don't get Cro-Mags, you don't get Turning Point. And without these bands, you don't get any of the shit that I fucking... Like, I'm sitting here on a Stranded shirt, big up Stranded. Without, like, musically, they're quite far apart. But without the bad brains, you do not get stranded. Yeah, it's the missing link. Yeah, exactly. And I think like moving like the band were from DC, then they moved down to New York and just kickstart your hardcore scene down there before anywhere really had a hardcore scene. But like DC, you kind of know, I think Minor Threat were about at this time. Yeah, Minor Threat. Like and, uh, Black, Fl- Black Flag were about in California, but there wasn't really much in hardcore at that time. It was definitely more of a kind of just an offset of punk. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't really much that separated hardcore and punk. At that point, yeah. Until the bad brains. I mean, like I was in the day that at the time, this is one of the fastest records ever recorded. <laughs> that doesn't all, that surprise me? Yeah, it's like straight away they open with "Sailing On," which is still like a fucking legendary hardcore song. I mean, like uh, Turnstile covered it for a bit. In right. like, see, I was thinking about that. Like you can definitely see. You follow like the lineage between Bad yeah. Brains and Turnstile, it all makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, if you are a hardcore fan and you haven't heard this record, what are you doing? Because it's one of the most like fundamental albums in starting a scene ever. It's horribly influential. It's not even full on fast, thrashy hardcore music. Like because the members are all like Rastafarians and from Jamaica. Yeah. There's a lot of like reggae bits in this album. A lot of ska bits. Aye. But they're done like as well as all the hardcore stuff and within the album it makes sense. Probably wouldn't get higher power either. Yeah, exactly man, exactly. You wouldn't get fucking anything <laughs> in no hardcore. music would exist if Bad yeah. Brains didn't exist. <laughs> Bad Brains invented metal. <laughs> 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 you don't get MBV with fucking You don't Bad get fucking Godspeed with it, Bad Brains. You, don't you, you probably don't. Another one, like, they were such an influential band that the Beastie Boys are called the Beastie Boys because they wanted a name that was the same initials as what the Bad Brains had. That's fucking sick. And, like, in Bad Brains, they, like, got the song Attitude in this album. They talk about, like, having that PMA. Yeah, you know, obviously positive that, yeah. mental attitude, which New York is, like, built on that mentality. I and mean, I can't remember the boy's name now, which has kind of outed me as a poser. But the singer? Yeah, the singer of Cro Mags oh, no. has a tattoo. That says Bad Brains PMA. Yeah, yeah, he got yeah. done in like '84. Both OG man. Yeah, exactly. So like, saying like without the Bad Brains, you don't get any of those bands. You know, like ask any of them, they'll tell you. And of course, this isn't even talking about like how legendary they were live. I mean, like there's a like YouTube series where this guy will interview all the old New York heads, and one of the questions he always asked them was. Are the Bad Brains live in 1983 as legendary, or were they as good as legend would have it? And they're all like they were better. <laughs> Fuck. 
Like everyone talking about how good they are now is nothing. And just like watch some of the old live performances if you dig this record. Right. wild man, big HR yeah. comes out and absolutely causes it. Yeah, he just goes for it, man. He's like fucking like hardcore dancing in the eighties. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just what the bad brains were about. It's about putting out that energy, and that's something that hardcore and punk music has retained since this album came out. See, Bad Brain self-titled one of the most important albums from Hardcore, and it's class. Like, it's kind of it does like the reason I went for Bad Brains over any other bands that weren't going to make it is because of the influence it had and the stuff I love. But it's also a fucking phenomenal record. Uh, I think of the time it came out, and like obviously the recordings have like dated, but as an album, it like just down to the songs, it's fucking incredible. Number 14, you and take us away. And number 14, we've got Compton's Most Dangerous, NWA. Ooh. Their debut uh, album. I'm going to hold back a bit because this is further down my list. Like, <coughs> fuck, it's just so bad. It, not bad as in badass. Bad <laughs> yeah. It's just so, it's like the gangster rap equivalent to like Appetite for Destruction, which was called like the most dangerous, or Guns N' Roses were called the most dangerous band out. So they weren't even the most seven. dangerous band to release a debut in that year. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Guns N' Roses, NWA, mate. <laughs> 1987. Uh, no, was it 87? Yeah, so was this. No, was it? Yeah. Was it fucked? Yeah, yeah. Go to Wikipedia, page up here. Ah, Jolton. Yeah, no, I hate it. Disregard everything I've just said then. Are you so, sure? Yeah, I'm fine. This is 87 then. No, it's, it's 88, man. Fucking wrong. You're wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> you are. Right, rattle on with your point. Come on. Uh, yeah, it's just like ridiculously volatile, but it's not volatile in a uh, callous way. It's Fuck. volatile because that was the kind of lives they were living. Oh, and it wasn't even nearly 87. Apologies. Didn't do my homework. Compton title track. Yeah. Uh, Fuck the police. That's just how they were living. I mean, like, if you don't think you know this album, you do. Like, mm. like, Aye, like, is that film about? Yeah. Not even that. Like, if you think, like, oh, I've never heard that, you fucking have. Like, express yourself. Yeah, and they that. That's using like fucking adverts and shit, is it not? The like, originals, it's not the NWA version, the sample, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and you can fucking trace it back to that, of course. And like, fuck the police, like iconic, gangster, gangster. Fucking, aye. So many yeah, fucking got legendary tracks on this. You know, if you're into rap music, then, <laughs> and you don't know this record, then there's fucking something wrong with you, by the way. Something very wrong with you if you don't know like, NWA. It's just... So badass, it's unreal. Definitely the like fact that they can they pull that off well, sometimes like gangster rap, I'm not really the kind of biggest connoisseur in like yeah. hip hop and rap music. I like what I like, but I don't really delve into it that much. Um, it's just can't go over it, man. I know it's so down, you so, so low down. Neither you should. <laughs> it's still like I must say, all the albums in this list, it's like. They could be number one, I reckon. Yeah, very Any possibly. one of these albums, if we're talking about albums that isn't just said one off the top of the head, any of these ones would come. Yeah, I think like, yeah, any of the albums in my list, if somebody said, like, oh, that's my favourite album of the 80s, I'd be like, fair enough. Yeah, there's no reason to, like, disregard having, you know, NWA, maybe disregard ACDC, but... We'll, we'll get there. To, we'll come to right. it. Anyway. But yeah, I've got I've got this in my list further down, so I'll save my part for that. 
Another 14, again another highly influential album, Dinosaur Jr. You're living all over me. Kevin Shields, he very famously said, like, without Dinosaur Jr., without this album, you do not get Loveless. And you can hear that, like, straight away from the first track, that kind of whir yeah. on that opening riff just says it all. It, like, gives away a genuinely, like, kind of beautiful verse. A, like really like floaty kind of thing, but at the same time it's got that thrashy like aggression. Yeah, it feels like a punk band, but they don't play punk music. If you know what I mean, when yeah. di- with Dinosaur Junior. And they as well like there's another band Kurt Cobain's famously said about them that Dinosaur Junior without that Nirvana wouldn't sound like they do. And like for a band to have this much influence in this eclectic an album. Like just putting out music is fucking incredible. I mean, like everything about this album, you can hear. Like especially if you're a music fan, you know you listen to this and you'll hear bits of like all the bands you love in it. Yeah. And there's really like creative kind of passages of music in it as well. And it also features the first appearance of the song "Just Like Heaven" on my list. Oh yeah, really. <laughs> they did a cover, a very weird cover that ends like halfway through a verse it just oh, stops yeah. you ever seen the video for it? no I haven't it's fucking wild man it's like if I remember correctly it's like demented Muppets of oh god uh, like of Dinosaur Jr yeah if I remember correctly that's, that's what it is but yeah it's like fucking class the best thing like a band who are doing this kind of shit in the 80s they're still about and they're still fucking killing it oh gee uh, like mm. they're producing albums that I'm just uh and parallel to what what's been produced in the kind of punk, yeah, grunge. I suppose like at the time this was indie rock, but indie rock has too many like negative connotations around it these days yeah. for me to feel right calling it that. That's true. Uh, but yeah, it's a fucking class album. Really good yeah. and really important. Again, it's one of those ones to me. It's more influential than it is that I do love it. Yeah. But that earns it a place in this list. I think it's fucking brilliant. So yeah, Dinosaur Junior, you're living all over me at my number fourteen. So at my number thirteen, I've got ACDC back in black. <sighs> fucking Dallas record. If you say so. <laughs> it's just like I, could, I probably could have swapped these about maybe. I maybe probably if I sat on it long enough, swapped NWA around with ACDC. But yeah. I, did, I mean, it is the how to do a comeback record. Yeah, that is true. Like, your singer's died. You are one of the biggest bands on the planet. What do you do? Kick the door down to that band. Yeah, you absolutely fucking yeah. smash it with the, one of the most recognisable uh, songs of the 1980s and ever in rock. Um, it's an album that I've, I've kind of just... I used to have on my phone, my Samsung phone back in the day, and I used to listen to it all the time. It's just like... There's nothing necessarily special about it. I mean, it is ACDC. They don't do that kind of thing. They don't hit out with like seventy-minute double albums like Sonic. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Motorhead effect, and you know what you're gonna get when you press play in an ACDC album. But you'll still enjoy it more often than not. You know you don't. But I don't. I I, I don't fuck with ACDC. I'm too punk. Of course, (laughs) of course. Yeah, no. It's literally how to do a comeback album. Kick the door down with a fantastic fucking single. uh, Press the album. They kinda there's some songs in it that are like kinda weird. Yeah. But it's not just your typical four four kinda four chord riff. It's like Hell's Bells in the last track. Which 
name escapes me. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, it's not like the standard. They kind of not like delve into like fucking psychedelia or anything like that. But there's some we kind of like uh, idiosyncratics that kind of make it just a just that little bit more enjoyable. Yeah, I mean I love it, man. I can't I don't understand why you don't like it. I just I've just never fucked to it, man. I think they've got like it's just. They're not as bad as Muse, right? But they have the same kind of effect for Muse as me, where it's just like, oh, they can do a good riff. What else? Yeah, Honestly, I have never been able to fuck with Brian Johnson's vocals. It's just, I don't know, man. It never clicked with me. I mean, I tried when I was getting into, like, rock and metal as a youth. Yeah, that's, that's, like, one of the reasons, like, that's, like, your daughter was, yeah. like, rock Especially and Especially, like, you as a guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, back, back, back and Black is one of the first riffs I've ever learned. So. Exactly. As far yeah. as like, most of the records on this are like kind of personal, kind of having an uh, influence on me, yeah, musicians yeah. of person, stuff like that. Anyway, what's your number 13? Right, my number 13 is a completely different box of frogs to yours, <laughs> in that it's a lot more punchy in the face than be like, oh, that's a good riff. Slayer, yeah, rain and blood. No fucking way is that so low on your list. Yeah, man. Holy it's, fuck. It's, like not, it's nowhere near my favourite Slayer album, which we'll get to next week. But, I I mean, Slayer. Fucking, what is there to be said about Slayer that hasn't been fucking said? In my notes, I've got <laughs> Slayer, rain and blood. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, half the, a, the notes are like, do I need to say anything? Yeah, exactly, like half an hour. Some of the most ferocious thrash music ever put to record. Evil, fucking yeah, evil. Yeah, it's genuinely fucking evil, man. Like it, it kind of escapes me the track listing. Hold on, I'll get it up. But like the whole thing is just a fucking barrage of riffs for a good half hour. And like, I mean, come on, this has a genuine shout to be one of the best albums under thirty minutes ever recorded. Yeah, yeah fucking. But opens with fucking. Yeah, o- opening with Angel of Death. A song about a fucking Nazi doctor doing horrific experiments on human samples. What male do you fucking need? Like, only Slayer could open an album like that and have it released into the kind of public when thrash metal was like big. And have it become one of the most legendary albums of all time. I mean, like, you actually cannot. Hope we don't get sued for that. (laughs) I accidentally started playing Necrophobic app out there. But. I mean, as far as influence goes, on metal, absolutely undeniable what Slayer did for the genre. Absolutely. I know Metallica, and I think for a good reason, because they're a lot more accessible, are the big boys and thrash and the big boys and metal full stop. But if you listen to Metallica and you're like, this is a bit too, kind of, it's a bit too... Soft. Yeah, soft, accessible. Go to Slayer. I mean, especially when you consider the time, this is what, 85, Rain and Blood came out? Yeah, yeah 85. 85 and 86. 86. This, must be, this was like one of the hardest things ever released. Still is. Yeah, it still is, man. It's fucking solid. Like, I know a lot of people disregard Thrash. It's just... Shite. Yeah, just shite, stompy riffs, and that's about it. But this is fucking undeniable, man. And I think... In hardcore as well, Slayer have more influence over hardcore than any metal band ever to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like most hardcore bands will take a lot of influence from Slayer. I think one of the obvious exceptions is Turnstile, and there's a lot of Metallica in what they do. But for the most part, that yeah. kind of that shred in the verses. In the wee- yeah, 
that'll come from Slayer. That double bass, man. Like, undeniable solos. Aye, double bass, the drums are just a fucking pummeling. It's like the, yeah, like the end of uh, Angel Death, and it's just like yeah. fucking <laughs> thundering drums, and then it ends. And you're like, oh, what have I just experienced? But I'll talk about yeah. more of that later on. And I'll talk more about Slayer next week. Yeah. And I got into my favourite Slayer album. So take us away, your number 12. My number 12 is uh, Talking Heads Remaining Light, which is, uh, again, more influential than. Uh, what was it you said? More influential than. I don't know, I can't remember. Not good, because that suggests. Yeah, it's not it's more not influential, influential than you like than it. it is, like. <coughs> Constantly, yeah, which yeah. Kind of like as this less progress, the albums that have on this, I will listen to more often than uh, some of the lower ones. But Talking Heads Remaining Light is a weird, fucking wonderful insight in David Byrne and the troops and that kind of mentality they had. It's just so like they, they, they basically took the post punk label and took it all the way, all the way over there, all the way away from <laughs> actually being punk. Yeah, but I, I think that's right. That. That's like the only relation post punk really has with punk is it's what came after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like the, the fact they infuse like world like Afrobeat Afro grooves and uh, kind of weird things you wouldn't normally hear in music yeah. at that time, I guess. Uh, and just kind of made it their own. That was their thing. Like that, this album. And then. No, what's the. What's one with Burned in the House? Like speaking in Tongues or something like that? Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, like those two albums are like, they are kind of similar. They've got the kind of synthesised drums, grooves, like world grooves, uh, really gallus bass lines. And uh, it's set like a lot of influence from the, for artists. Uh, I think particularly today because there's kind of a, I think they tapped in, I think they tapped into something that nobody really did at that point. Yeah. And now that's becoming kind of more present. So people like Christine the Queen's uh, Vampire Weekend and Radiohead, I suppose, they get their name from a Talking Heads album. Really? Yeah. That's I don't cool. know what album it is. But, uh, like, Radiohead? <laughs> no, it was like the song was Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, particularly Christine the Queen's and like St. Vincent, like she she collaborated with David Byrne and produced yeah. like a, an album which was pretty damn good, I think. The first track of that is amazing. So I think it's like influential, undeniably. Yeah, because you know, it was so ahead of its time. Yeah, talking heads, and never really got into them, so I'll need to deal with that after this. Yeah, and delve right in. I hope Dylan doesn't listen to this. He's gonna fucking kill yeah, me. Talking, yeah, and you fucking adores them, man. Yeah, so that was your number twelve. Number twelve talking heads remain light. Right. And also, it was produced by Brian, so that's obviously a point. In yeah, plus one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, funny you should mention like going as far away from punk as possible. Okay, this is the most punk album in my list. Oh. One of the most important bands ever to pick up instruments, and they were a band for three years. Minor threat out of step. Yes. Their only full-length record, recorded in a day <laughs> after the band split up for a couple of months. And what, I get like what we're saying about fucking Slayer. What is there to left? to say about Minor Threat that hasn't been said. Ian Mackay's most important band? Maybe, no, we'll get to that later. No, yeah. But, off. Yeah, oh, every band he's in has had an immense influence on the music that he's played. But yeah, out of step, I mean, Minor Threat, if you don't drink, if you don't smoke, if you don't take drugs, 
Minor Threat did it first. Yeah. The band who invented the straight edge label. I know Ian McKay would come down here and kick my cunt in. He heard me talking about how important he was in starting the movement. But he fucking was. Like, <laughs> I mean, they have the song Straight Edge, just 40 seconds embossed. 40 seconds of music and he started a scene. I mean, Minor Threat as a band, I looked up the day, including this album, they have 47 minutes of music. This band produced less than an hour's worth of music in their three years and they're still widely regarded as one of the most important hardcore bands ever. I mean, like most things on Discord re- Discord records were really important, but I don't think Yeah, that whole DC scene. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's much more important than this, though. I, like, you just listen to it, it's a constant barrage of Ian McKay ramming the truth down your throat. It's, it's the one like thing I love about Minor Threat is the bass lines. Oh, like man, the, the production on it's so raw, the bass yeah. which don't usually cut through, they cut through a fucking shit ton. Yeah, that's really like a lot of these older hardcore bands, the way they did albums was like, we can actually only afford an hour in this studio, so we're going to play through it live, and whatever mistakes we make stay on the album, and those mistakes have gone on to become legendary parts of music. Exactly. I mean, like, I mean, they do just embody that punk and hardcore DIY ethos, especially Ian McKay, running Discord Records. He used to put together the record sleeves by hand. Ah, uh, yeah, so he'd yeah. Like get card, print out that. And then stickers, uh, scissors and glue. Yeah, cut them up. <laughs> it's like hard times, kind of dig into him a bit, and it's fucking incredible. They always say like, "Oh, Ian McKay forces like." kids on his lawn to put together seven yeah. inches <laughs> he's just old man Mackay yeah as much as he has been like very vocal and not meaning to start something he he's started very, something yeah. wonderful he's very modest almost uh, yeah he is he's very, very modest no, wait, I think it's more just him not wanting to be associated with changing the world but he fucking did I mean yeah, absolutely. but especially understandable what Straight Edge went on to become in the late 80s early 90s where like the FBI actually classified it as a gang yeah. I'd want to distance myself from starting that yeah yeah absolutely and in this album it's just 20 minutes of some of the most ferocious music ever to come out of punk and hardcore absolutely. and there's not really much left to be said about Minor Threat yeah. that hasn't already I mean if you don't know Minor Threat I don't know where the fuck you've been hiding for the past 30 years. In a hole, listen to fucking yeah. Katy Perry or something. But the fact that, like, they were a band for three years and the sheep in this artwork is fucking iconic. Yeah. Like, even that, uh, the Seven Inch Salad days that came out after they split up, it's one of the most legendary images in hardcore, like Minor Threat sitting in the port Oh, the port half. Yeah. Mirrored by countless bands. Yeah, definitely. So there was bands. one in my Instagram because I've got uh, Toby Moss and he's mates with Ian McKay Aye. so they went to visit him like him and his son and the three of them recreated that picture it's fucking, <laughs> it's fucking amazing but yeah that's about all I've got to say that hasn't been said or minor for it it's a fucking unbelievable band I don't know what you've been doing if you haven't listened to them especially if you like punk music absolutely so take us away so at my number 11 I've got Jesus and Mary Chain with Psycho Candy oh yeah which was in 1985 and uh, one of the kind of more uh, the bigger Scottish acts to ever kind of come to garner such. They Scottish. Yeah, Bobby Gillespie from Primal uh, Scream played. Wanted to say drums, but literally had two drums. Fucking hell! Bang! Fuck it! And I had no idea they were Scottish, man. Yeah, man. Uh, one of the kind of most legendary Scottish bands to kind of be about. 
and yeah. they're it's and fathers of shoegaze I'd reckon as well. We talk about shoegaze too much in this podcast. What? No, we, we talk don't. About, yeah, no, that's true. But like every every podcast, I think shoegaze is mentioned. But um, yeah, psycho candy is just it's just like noise and its simplest form. There's like two guitars, a bass, vocals, and literally two drums and floor tom and a snare drum. A snare drum. That's it. With cymbals? No. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, it's just so simplistic. Not even a snare? No, a floor tom and a snare. And oh, Bobby yeah, Gillespie yeah. used to stand and just fucking let off. Oh, I think it. she's like a bass drum and a floor tom. No. Uh, but they, they were like legend, legendary for being complete maniacs. Like all our shows would end, them someday, end up in someday fighting. Like the crowd fighting with one of the members. Which is... Cool, the original yeah. Gigi Allen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but like, one of the first bands we signed uh, to Creation Records, another famous shoegaze label. Shoegaze <laughs> label and like Scottish slash London record label. But yeah, I just, think it's the fact that they were on Creation made me think that they weren't Scottish. Well, I don't think he's Scottish. He's the, the like, most Scottish man ever. He's that like. I just listened to the cunt's name, but I know they're like based in London. Ah, yeah, they moved down to London, yeah. but yeah. It's got it's got everything like there's a lot of influence from like Velvet Underground and like the Stooges kind of that punk scuzz but there's like yeah uh, who, who sings against it Jim uh, Jim Reed there's two brothers Jim and William Reed and Jim sings no relation to me no <laughs> well, I never know fingers crossed yeah <laughs> Jim he sings on it but it's like the, the melodies he puts in are like very sixties esque very like. Spectre wall of sound, kind of the one hit one, not one hit wonders, but like the, that kind of era of like chess and and Motown kind of mm-hmm. stacks kind of uh, melodies that it just infuses with this absolute fucking wall of noise. It's just uh, ridiculous, man. It's such a and just like honey, what a song, what an absolute track. I think that was in lost in translation. The NZ. Remember? No, I've not seen it. You know. Fuck's sake. It's anyway, on my watch list. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, Man Number 11. Right. Man Number 11. Guns N' Roses. Yeah! Destruction. Fuck yeah. Now, I knew this was on my list before I listened to it. Kind of like, come on. Appetite for Destruction. But I hadn't actually listened to it in about maybe seven or eight years. Since I was a wee guy, I hadn't listened to this album. When I put it on, man, it's just, it sounds like a greatest hits. It is the greatest hits. For Who cares what happens after this fucking record, man? Fair the only good thing that came out after it was fucking the live album. That's a fucking, that's an argument for another day. But, yeah, I mean, opening an album, you're opening your first album with Welcome to the Jungle. Fucking behave. You like, know you're going to fucking kick off. Yeah, it, it doesn't get, it doesn't let up, man. It's just fucking great rock music. Like, fucking Welcome to the Jungle, it's so easy. Night Train, and then I believe it's Mr. Brownstone. Yeah. First four songs in your record, all fucking the first incredible. Record. Yeah, all amazing tracks. And that's before you even get into Paradise City, Sweet Child O' Mine, Mama Shell, fucking Rocket Queen, I know Rocket that, Queen. That gets a lot of hate back. I fuck with it. It used to make me really uncomfortable as a wee guy because there was, yeah, was folks shagging and I was like, I was like 11. I was really young and I like, this is one of the first records that kind of I got and I was like, what's going on? Yeah, now I listen to Nine Inch Nails. (laughs) No, no, like, there is no. uh, 
letting up now. Yeah, I mean, it's what, 12 tracks? Yeah, 12 or 11 tracks. Yeah, 12 or 11 tracks of just unrelenting hard rock fucking bangers. And there's. You play anyone a song off this record, they probably know it. If they don't know it, they probably know the chorus. Or they'll be, yeah, able, or they'll be able to hear that guitar playing and going, oh, is that Slash? Or that vocal? Is that fucking uh, Axel Rose? You will know that is Axel Rose. Yeah. He's just so like, flamboyant in what he does. And so it's, all the, it's all the weird things that he puts in. Yeah. He's all like, the vocal ticks. Yeah, like all the best vocalists have their own wee thing. Like Rob Flynn, he's like, what? In Machine Head and mm. shit like that. Or James Hetfield, like, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Ooh, yeah! Yeah, Axel Rose has got his own one of them, he's on like, he's really like, squeals and stuff yeah. and shit like that, yeah. It's just a fucking iconic album. I mean, this was the first album, or one of the first albums I ever bought. In fact, I bought it in the same day that I bought Definitely Maybe by Oasis. Near the first two albums I ever bought. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, man. What a polarisation. <laughs> They're both fucking brilliant debuts. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, like, I remember reading when I was a wee guy, I'm not sure if this has changed now, but this was the second greatest selling debut album of all time, behind only Boston's debut. <laughs> Boston? Yeah. That's more than a feeling, Boston? Yeah. Jesus Christ. What, in the 80s or of all time? All time. Jesus Christ. That's wild. Yeah, it's still been fucking... Who bought Boston's records? More folk than bought this, apparently. Fuck. <coughs> but yeah, this is a fucking incredible album. I mean, just listen to it, it's just riff after fucking riff after fucking riff. It's just good hard rock, man. It's like kind of what you were saying about ACDC, but better. Punkier. Like, mere solid. Yeah. I mean, Slash still to this day is a guitar player. He's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, some people hate him. Some people don't like him for some reason. That's like, that's probably just that effect where, like, oh, this is big, I don't like it. Oh, he he's very yeah. famous, therefore he's shit. People are like, oh, he's overrated, but he's like, nah, man, he's yeah, like, not. He's still a fan. Like, you can't just keep, call him overrated because everybody loves him. That's yeah, like be like, us. how's he overrated? Like, he just does. Oh, he's just he just plays the guitar. Like, yeah, that's fucking, what he's, that's you know, what he's, fucking that's iconic. That's a thing. I mean, if you ask any cunt to like, describe Slash, they can do it. Yeah. The fucking top hat, long hair, the Stems. sunglasses. Yeah, exactly, man. He's such an iconic dude, and this is the album that turned him into a hero. It's album that turned heroes. Yeah, exactly. Bar maybe. Uh, who's the fucking original drummer on this? Uh, I've got his book. Hold on, let me just look in my bookshelf. Stephen Adler. Aye, Stephen Adler. He, he can take a leave him because that he's an, he he was too dangerous for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, that's why he's not back in them today. The that's Aye. why. Kind of oh, they didn't even get Matt Sorum back, did they? I have no idea who drums the Guns Roses anymore. I know it's not Matt Sorum. No, he... But it he might did be. the 90s kind of stunt. Yeah, and that was like the legendary Guns N' Roses. And people say like, oh, we want the original Guns N' Roses back. What they mean is they want fucking Use Your Illusion Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like, when they're headlining stadiums, if you ever get a chance, people out there on the internet land. I think it's a video. I think it's the, uh, the Roxy. Yeah. It's the year, <coughs> uh, well, after the destruction came out, and it's just unreal. They're just all going for it. Like the kind of original lineup: Stephen Adler, Duff McKagan, Izzy Stradlin. Uh, it is a boy called Slam. Frank Ferrer that drums for them these days. No idea who that is. Nah, I need a. I don't know. See what else he was in. But Slash and Axel just absolutely fucking going for it. It's just so raw. 
I'll talk about that later. It was nothing really. It's just, no. <laughs> uh, the beautiful, the psychedelic fuzz, love spit, love, the compulsions and pisser and guns Lovely. and roses. Yeah. So well, yeah, okay. not Matt Sorum. But if you're going to have your dream Guns N' Roses, it's not Steven Adler drumming no. for them, is it? Despite the performance he puts in on this. It's yeah, but I remember like, they're a band that had like, their fucking ambitions set in stone. Like, debut album, they wrote the song Night Train on this, which doesn't have, it's like just a song about drinking, but it doesn't have any explicit lyrics. And the reason behind that was, oh, if we ever get on TV, we need a song to play. Like, yeah, you can't play the song. You can't play it so easy, you know what I mean? I know. Yeah, just a fucking fantastic piece of like sleazy hard rock in the time when sleazy hard rock was on top of the fucking world. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, in the 80s. Into the top 10, what you got for us, you? So, bringing up my top 10 is Metallica Red the Lightning. Yeah! Oh, yeah! <laughs> Ooh, yeah! I, I, was, I was struggling, I was struggling to pick. Uh, I'm a Metallica album because I feel yeah, like this is the one that didn't make my list yeah I feel like if I didn't pick a Metallica album because I went through a very very long phase when I was younger just listening to like Red Light and Master of Puppets Black Album and like hundreds of other 80s thrash and Megadeth and stuff like that but I don't really care I don't really see Megadeth as influential in me uh, as Metallica have been so Red Lightning it's it was a hard choice between this and Master of Puppets, yeah. to be honest. But I went for this one because uh, it's just it's such a good record, man. It's kind of like the balance between Kill 'Em All and Master of Puppets, which is obvious because it's their second album. Um, between like the kind of thrashy, <laughs> snarly, kind of Kill 'Em All, really, 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 really fast yeah. riffage and kind of ridiculous solos and stuff like that, and then move up this record. They've got that, and they, but they're moving on. You can tell they're moving on to the Master Puppets, kind of longer songs, more instrumentally driven uh, kind of pieces. Like they've got, I think one of the Call of Cthulhu instrumental, Orion on uh, Master Puppets is instrumental, so you can kind of see the ellipse, eclipse rather. Yeah, like Fade to Black, Ride the Lightning, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, and what was that one? Well, those three tracks on their own are fucking unreal. Yeah. Top end. The Creeping Death, one of the best riffs ever. Aye, definitely. Man. I, I kind of half fest picking one of the first four Metallica records for this because they're all undeniable. Yeah. Like, it was between Ride the Lightning and, and Justice for All for me, and I had neither. Aye, testament to how good the 80s were, but I never really got into Metallica that much. I mean, they're a band I respect a fuck ton, yeah. but I'm not really too into them, which I know is a weird thing for, like, a dude who fucking loves music. Yeah. Because, like, Metallica are one of those bands that most people will listen to when they're getting into music. I mean, they were one of the heavy music. Yeah, they were one of the, like, the first bands I tried getting into, but it didn't click with me, and then Slipknot did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. personally, I'd probably choose Master of Puppets over this. But yeah. if we're talking about best albums of the 80s, this kind of beats the mark. Yeah, that's fair, man. That is very fair. Yeah, so that's my number 10, Metallica Ride the Lightning. We have a very bad habit in this of going for like Polar Opposites. What have you got
kiss oh. me, kiss me, kiss me. I'm about to kill What a fucking record, man. I mean, was was this the one that made them huge, or was it pornography? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that? yeah for a band to get huge on something as eclectic as this. Double album, it, yeah, seventy minute double album, I'm oh. sure. And it goes all over the place. It leaves like no stone unturned. Like, genre wise, yeah, exactly. Genre wise, like anything you think they could do, they do it. There's like eastern passages on this. There's bits of ska, whole lot there's of bits of ska. What? Yeah, there's like bits of ska, like interwoven into it and shit, and like pure melancholic, like kind of ballads. But it, pure ways, yeah. The fundamentals of what the Cure do is just like jangly, weird pop music, and that's what stands out in this record. I mean, when it came to picking a Cure record put in this list I went for Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me based almost entirely off Just Like Heaven one of the best songs ever definitely man what a fucking tune I remember like when Flakes used to cover it it's such a good time for Glasgow music and <laughs> <laughs> you go see Flakes and they fire out with a Cure cover it's undeniable I mean Just Like Heaven is the standout track by a mile and I hate when the big one is like the best one you yeah know? like i want to think like if i'm if there's a single that's grabbed me there'll be more on the record but that song is so fucking undeniable they also have the love cats on it yeah they did they did but just like heaven come on man like, yeah like <laughs> yeah, yeah. just like heaven with love cats in it love cats is that yeah but the whole love album is a definite experience as like every cure record they're all brilliant so i don't think you're at a loss if you listen to pornography or disintegration over this mm. one yeah especially yeah. disintegration which is you will get to it with you won't we yeah. yeah so we'll leave that for that chat yeah kiss me kiss me kiss me it's just like what we're talking about the 80s being the time for weird pop music and i think the cure are the embodiment yeah. of that especially for a band who like have their roots in post-punk yeah they took the post-punk level and they ran away with it I think there's a lot of parallels you can draw between The Cure and The Smiths. Yeah. The Cure, you... But The Cure are much better. Well, The Cure had like a... Their trajectory kind of went... was over obviously a long time. Smiths was like, yeah. puff, 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 four records, there you go. Four records are splitting up because we're all dickheads. <laughs> well, this isn't like The Smiths, if you haven't already fucked like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep my Smiths hatred to a minimum. I just fucking hate the Smiths. We're not talking about the Smiths. We're talking about the Cure. They're fucking guys. You're great. Yes. Your number guess, nine. Guess it's number nine. <laughs> Is it the Cure? Yeah. It's the Hell cure. yeah. <laughs> Went for this one because, uh, like, and a really good know. story behind this album. Yeah. And it was like after "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me," and they got huge. And Robert Smith turned thirty, and he was like, "I'm doing that." Yeah, fuck being huge. Yeah, fuck I'm being gonna huge. Take fuck lo- being thirty. Gonna take lots of acid. And My fucking dad mate's a fucking alcoholic. <laughs> we need to get rid of him, but let's we need to record an album to kind of follow up this massive album that we just released. So how do you follow up a massive album? You you take lots of acid and put out a really weird post-punk goth masterpiece. Yeah, you take <laughs> lots of acid. You put a disintegration, but it's just. It's not all dark though. <coughs> I mean, there is like a kind of wee kind of shimmer of light and like love song and pictures of you. Yeah. Because he got married. I think Robert Smith got married either. It must have been near the end or during uh, the run for Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. So there's like that, but then there's like uh, 
of Anasax, really. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just pure fucking weird, creepy, dark, eerie songs that he's just crafted out of like the deepest recesses of his mind that he's discovered on this crazy ride that has been the commercial success of the cure. I mean it's it's a journey. Yeah, kiss definitely. Me, like, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. I, I, well, I'll just call it kiss me, right? Because I'm getting kind of sick of saying the th- same thing three times. But that is like a oh, let's like experiment and let's have like some pop hits and stuff, you know, keep yeah. the pop root there. And then they're like, oh shit, we're huge. I, I can easily say that they probably said, yeah, let's try and abort this and just release the, just some weird ass fucking record. And they did. But everyone was like, no, that's amazing. So. Okay, it was amazing. Yeah. It didn't really. They didn't get any fucking smaller on the back of it, did they? No. It's like Nirvana doing in utero after Nevermind. They, they? they headline Glastonbury off the back of it. Yeah, exactly, and they still could headline Glastonbury. Yeah. yeah. Like, they could easily headline off it. They did Red not that long ago. Yeah, uh, 2012, I want to say. Yeah, I mean, it's now 2017, it's <coughs> a while away, but. Yeah. yeah, they still. They, they could play anywhere, any first one, but that, right. Here's like. The great sets and the deep cuts that like and still p- produce a fantastic set. Yeah. No, I mean, you get love song, lullaby, fascination street, playing song. Yeah, the Cure are another one of those bands who have enough greatest hits that if you don't think you know a Cure song, you do. <laughs> I mean, if you don't think you know a Cure song, you know Freddie and Love. Yeah, exactly. Or you know Just Like Heaven. You exactly. know The fucking big bangers. What? what a fucking band they are. Yeah, like. <laughs> It's so luscious that instrumentals, especially in playing song in a big, dirt, like not dirty sense, but like a big, huge, wavy, washy sense that open that yeah. song with. It's just like an experience, man. It's like being, it's like floating about in a cloud, a black cloud that pisses rain. Eye <laughs> makeup. Yeah, that's my number nine. Beautiful way of putting it. Integration. Right. As I said, in the nineties or the time for, or the eighties or the time for weird experimentation in your music and that's why I've gone with the Pixies Surfer Rosa Oh! When you think of like weirdos in music The Pixies are the Pixies have got to be quite high up there man, I mean they're all their own characters especially like fucking what's he called himself these days? Black Francis Black Francis, right? he goes through whatever the fuck you want, any variation Francis Black I think is his actual name that's not even his real he's not even called fucking Francis he's not called Charles or something yeah he's 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 not got a really long name yeah something fucked anyway Pixie's like there's just so much to go into in this album and it's only 35 minutes long and again that kind of cure thing they just take their music and go like run in every possible direction with it I mean you've got obviously fucking Where Is My Mind it's one of the like best rock songs ever written for my money right. and then like what, two songs after that you've got Gigantic. a song called Tony's Theme which is a song that serves as the soundtrack to a superhero they made up oh the studio, yeah, yeah. Like, just shit like that man I mean, that kind of eclecticism is what makes the Pixies such an important band and especially like Kurt Cobain sings their praises right. like, or sang their praises every fucking chance he got because of how important they were to that grunge scene, but which that's kind of weird to say because there's not really much in the way of grunge music on this album. It's more the kind of attitude of we'll do what we want. The quiet loud, yeah. The quiet, like, uh, quiet loud, quiet dynamic. But see, when like the Pixies did the quiet loud dynamic, yeah. In this one, it's not like 
it's like a really quiet verse and then like a fucking massive chorus yeah. after it and then it goes back to the really quiet verse like it's not quite loud as what it is now bands just play like a clean guitar and yeah, then, 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 then the heavy bit comes in yeah. it's the distortion but this is like weird and kind of atmospheric yeah maybe. weird and like introspective and then just all bursts out in the chorus yeah. and shit like that and the lyrics are also fucking after not it's weird like how a band as big as this have such fucking dark lyrics at times oh, like oh, some of the stuff that fucking Black Francis writes about it just blows the fucking mind we'll get not, that yeah not particularly on this record but definitely on Do Little yeah we'll get to that because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's coming up yeah and as I say like, Where Is My Mind one of the most iconic songs of all time for my money yeah undeniable I mean, the Pixies are another one of those bands like The Cure who can show up and headline wherever the fuck they want. Aye, like they're doing, they're playing Glasgow. Uh, Kelvin Grove Bandstand, that's what Yeah, which is essentially Glasgow's only outdoor amphitheatre. Yeah, yeah. So, naturally, yeah, yeah. sure it's sold out. It wouldn't surprise me, man. Like, they didn't even release anything with, like, when they released Oh, they put an album out last year that wasn't up to it. Largely because what's her name? I can never remember. Kim Deal. Yeah, Kim Deal left, and they got a new female bassist in. Guess who? Guess who produced? Suffer with her. Who? Steve Albini. Oh fucking hell yeah! That would be why like Nirvana wanted them. Aye. (laughs) That is literally like I'm just looking at the page here. Cobain hired the album's recording engineer Steve Albini to record his band's album and new show after this. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, that influence in the Pixies, like, even if you don't like them, your favourite band fucking loves them. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> Biffy, fucking, I don't know, the XLs definitely. Yeah. Oh, what a band. Just what a band. Love them. Over to you. So number eight. number eight is <coughs> Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Buffed. Holy fuck. <laughs> we, I mean, we've already previously discussed this, but Jesus Christ. I love this album so much. I don't even care for gun, Guns N' Roses anymore. Like, I could not fucking give a damn. We'd not if they played Glasgow, season. we'd be there, I think. Well, yeah, yeah I, I say yeah. this now, like, if they played in Glasgow, I wouldn't be there, but I would be 100% there. <laughs> Purely because... The strength of this record. The strength of this record, the fact that I had so much uh, influence when I was a, a wee boy in like, playing Guitar Hero 3, and I was like, oh my god, Slash is the coolest dude about... I wanna, I wanna be like Slash. I wanna play like Slash. Never, yeah. I've never accomplished that. But like, I remember, like, I've never been one for playing guitar. But I remember, like, Guitar Hero. Whenever I'd play it, I'd always go for a Les Paul, and I thought Les Paul was the coolest guitar ever because oh, Slash had one. It's <laughs> just like the. I mean, imagine releasing this as your debut album. That is just unreal. Yeah, like, man, fucking ridiculous. Like, actually, who do you think you are releasing Sweet Child of Mine? In your first album, like be fucking, fucking asshole. That's what you think. Of. <laughs> it's just like the aggression and the the, the fucking piss and vinegar that's in this record. You can you can feel it. You can hear yeah. it. The fact that they were probably all yeah. It does like sound like an album that's come from the streets. The streets of LA, but the streets. <laughs> yeah, it's just ridiculous. I'll never ever get over it. The yeah, fact that it had five singles is unreal. Yeah. But and it's so easy being one of them. It's like I said, I hadn't listened to this in fucking years. And I put it on and I'm like, this is just as good as I remember yeah. it. 
I'd say this is like one of the, if not the album, one of the albums that got me into music. Yeah, definitely. Really because me as well. like, my dad really he gave me like exactly the same. That was his. Exactly was his, the same. If when, when I was, I was younger, when I was like, like my seven, the greatest hits came out. That's like all my dad would listen yeah. to. Greatest hits. That was that one with Simply with the Devil. Yeah, that's an awful cover. Yeah, that I'm one wasn't that. too good. Yeah. But I had that uh, that song Yesterdays on it. Oh yeah, that song's fucking brilliant. Oh, is that of Usual Illusion? Yeah, yeah, two I believe. I really like those records. I doubt they'll make my nineties list because the nineties were too strong. No, no, there's no way they'll make my nineties list. But anyway, after the destruction, one of the best albums ever. I'd yeah, say. and it launched them into a place where they were like a household name, and that hasn't gone away. No, nah, this album's this album's album thirty gone. years old, and they haven't got any smaller. It's wild, man. <laughs> Anyway, that's my number eight. I'd say listen to it, but come on, you've heard it. <laughs> I know, if you've not heard this, fuck off. No, if you've not heard this, podcast. you're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my number eight, Guns and Roses Attic. Right, my number eight is Jane's Addiction. Nothing's oh. shocking. Wow. <laughs> I fucking love Jane's Addiction, man. They're one of the weirdest bands for my money to come out of the 80s. And that fucking yeah, saying really something weird. very eclectic, peripheral vocals. Like he has such a distinctive voice, man. Like you can pick him out of your fucking lineup. Castellan. It's very, very oh, high. Oh man. And like some of the like monstrous fucking riffs they hit out of this now. And, like that bass riff that opens Mountain Song is one of the most iconic bass riffs ever. I have to say, you've never heard Mountain Song by Jane's Addiction. <laughs> I'll play it for you after this, you'll fucking know it. Yeah, you've got that song, which is like the kind of big single. And then, like, songs like Jane Says, which is their acoustic song. But because, like, acoustic, you usually think of as being quite. Sad. Yeah, sad and, like, limited and, like, kind of more claustrophobic than what you can do with a full band. But with Perry Farrell's like soaring vocals over it, you do not get that at all. And the way the guitar's produced, it sounds so huge. And it's just the guitar and Perry Farrell singing about this girl Jane, talking about leaving her boyfriend and shit, <laughs> and how she's been mistreated. But it's fucking beautiful under his hands. And it speaks testaments to how important this album is in the world of kind of artsy music. Yeah. That Death Grips sample, the first song oh, of really? it. Yeah, uh, Ken How Beware. Yeah. I think it's Beware, the one with the Charles Manson interview. Oh, fuck, uh, is that what affects Melody? Yeah, the first yeah. song on NH Melody is basically Up the Beach, the first song on this, with that interview put over it. That's why. Like, that's the intro, is a James Addiction song with a Charles Manson interview. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, it's not my favourite Jane album, because that comes next decade. But it's definitely an album you need to hear, especially if you like kind of weird alternative rock. Yeah, I've not really given them a time of day, I've just kinda knew the other thing. Oh man, does Dave Navarro play guitar on this album? Uh, I believe he does. I'm sure. That's the kind of only thing I know him for, and yeah. the kind of Red Hot Chili Peppers stuff he did that nobody liked. So nobody he, really likes Dave Navarro for some reason. I love him, man. I think that Chili Peppers album is incredible. What was that one? Uh, one, one Hot Minute. Uh, it was only the one album he did, wasn't it? Because it was at Blood Sugar Sex yeah. Magic after that. Uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic before. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Fuck. I always thought it was a little run. Nah, oh, because Fushkanti left and then he came back, didn't he? 
Yeah, and that was the one album he didn't do. Oh, well. Yeah, this is also the second album in the list that has tits and artwork. <laughs> is the first one? Pixies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got a wee boob. <laughs> just one wee boob. Uh, just a wee boob. Yeah, Dave Navarro. I don't know why I had to Google that, but yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, but like four dudes making just a horrendous racket in the best possible way. Yeah. <laughs> I say that as if it's the fucking big black noise punk album, but no. Nah. Again, like the last three albums I've had kind of have that in common, that they're all like really weird, just stretching out what they can do. Yeah. It seems like this kind of period, like the mid to late 80s, was just the time for going fucking dicks out with your music and just doing whatever the fuck you want. And all the excess in the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely, and for most bands it fucking worked. <laughs> <laughs> most bands other than some. You <laughs> can say we'll get to that, but we fucking won't. No, we'll talk about that. This is the best shit. <laughs> yeah. well, You're number seven, you. Number seven. Fucking Fugazi, mate. Ooh, fucking Fugazi. Yeah. Oh, I'm going I'm to hold back, because this is much further down. You know, how did Fugazi pick? I had mine oh. off it, man. Fugazi's oh, yeah. much further down than mine. Further up, you mean? Aye. Oh, uh, it's because the way I've written the list, it's like... Oh, right, right, right. But yeah. So, 13 songs. <coughs> we'll call it their debut. Basically, it's their debut. Yeah. I feel kind of dirty having it on my list because it is just two EPs put together, but such an iconic album. Yeah, no. ca- we are counting it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Ian McKay, we talked about him, he's a fucking hero. But imagine yeah. going from Minor Threat and then into Fugazi. And there was there was embrace between which embrace. a really important album and the progression of emo. All right, but we'll get to that. I've, yeah. got, I've got an album later on that talks about that. Um, I mean, you open an album with uh, waiting room. I mean, everybody else might as well just quit music because fuck me, what an intro! Listen to that bass man, that is just slick, and it doesn't sound like you want a kind of gauge of how influential and good a bass line that is. The Red Hot Chili Peppers used to cover Waiting Room in the 90s. Really? Yeah. Plus. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I need some videos of that man. Imagine yeah. Please turn that bass line up. Yeah, dude. Shit. I mean, I think this is punk at its peak. Yeah. I've got to say. Because punk can either mean something like that has depth and meaning well, or, it could, or it could mean like the fucking Hannah's of bands that came out in the 70s that were just absolute mints. Yeah. Got this a lot is, I, this is, I'd call this punk at speed. Yeah, well, this is like, if we're talking strictly speaking, this is, this and along with another album down in my list is one of the fundamentally most important albums in post-hardcore. Oh yeah, definitely, as well, post-hardcore as well, yeah. It's kind of like, as hardcore as punk's ginger stepchild wee braille, post-hardcore is to post-punk the same thing. Yeah. <coughs> like Fugazi. Yeah. I can't like <laughs> I can't quantify how much I fucking love Fugazi and this record. I mean we'll probably get more into Fugazi next next podcast. And the week after. Yeah. The argument two thousand and one. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, like Mackay legend. Fugazi fucking unreal. Yeah, like like um, I said, I'm I'm sitting back and I've got yeah. I'm gonna go fucking nuts yeah, that's, in that's this one. Number seven, what's yeah. your number seven? My number seven is N.W.A. Street Out of Compton. Oof. I would say, man, this is one of the most just aggressive albums ever. Really. Yeah. 
Name me a more iconic start to an album than you're now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Uh, try, try. Impossible, mate. Impossible. It's, uh, fuck. I don't know. Beatles or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Answers you can, are you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just kicking into the title track with that. I mean, this is like. I know it was the first album he properly worked on, but to my, for my money, this is Drake's peak production. Oh, the production this is ridiculous. It is insane. Like, for an album that kind of kick-started a sub-genre of hip-hop, yeah. and, like, its influence is still being felt today. I mean, within like kind of gangster rap and West Coast hip-hop, I think there's, as far as hip-hop collectives go, there's only one I prefer to this, and they didn't put out an album in the 80s. So we'll yeah. get Wu-Tang. Oh, of course, Wu-Tang. <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan coming at you. But yeah, like, this whole album, man, it's banger after banger are hard as fuck fucking tunes. And this is why, like, when they were touring this, there was, like, frequently riots at their shows. And it's not hard to listen to, or not hard to see why when you listen to it. Especially, like, songs that are is fucking in your face. It's gangster, gangster, and fuck the police. And then you've got the kind of softer moment where you express yourself, but most of this is just fucking, just a pummeling. Uh, you look at the artwork and it's like the kind of picture of them all like looking down. It looks like they're about to kick your head in. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one thing I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, like, one of the one, one of the best. You, you get to that artwork and that like straight away is iconic before you've even pressed yeah, play. Yeah, about to witness the power of fucking yeah, knowledge, man. as soon as you press play, you're confronted with that straight into the title track. Which is just one of the greatest title tracks of all time. Then into Fuck the Police and then into Gangster Gangster. I mean, come on, for an opening fucking battering of three songs. I mean, like, when you first listen to an album, three songs is kind of as much as you would give it before you decide if you're yeah. into it or not. And I refuse to believe that anyone can listen to those three and go, nah, this is shit. This isn't for me. Just like, there's just so much swagger about it as well. I think that's like an essential component of hip hop music is the fucking swagger behind it. Right, especially if you're into hip hop, full stop. I mean, you can. Yeah. You'd be. I think you'd be hard pressed to talk to any hip hop rapper. Hip hop rapper. Hip hop. You have never sounded whiter. <laughs> that hip hop music. Uh, I was maybe like hip hop slash rapper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and asking like. So what we'll, we'll, we'll about the NWA? Like <coughs> they have influence on you? They'd say yeah because like, yeah. you can't not. Yeah, when you exactly. Make that right, exactly. Especially the Ice Cube and Easy E on this. They say like it's the hardest fucking cunts going. Like it, just, like, <laughs> it just comes so naturally to them. It's unreal. Yeah, like, yeah, some it's of the bars they come out Which is really weird. Like when yeah. you watch straight out of Compton the movie, and you see like the first recording that Easy did, he had to do it line by line because he couldn't rap. Uh, and that was what two years before this. Yeah, I think so. And, like the progression he made in two years is fucking outstanding. And the progression they all made, I'd say. Oh, and some of them obviously were better than rapping than others, and yeah. like production-wise, the Dre. And yeah, Dre's always been a genius. Like I think with his production. But this is where it like comes out in most like, I'm not really too keen on many NWA solo albums, nor am I too big in the one that comes after this. Yeah, it wasn't really NWA. Yeah, because Ice Cube left. But this is like this is them at their peak. And I think career best performance from all of them for my money. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. They yep. definitely definitely peaked. 
Yeah, 100% man. So, just one of the most important <laughs> albums in the history of hip hop. And there you have it. Can't put that lightly. NWA straight out of Compton. So, Man of Six. It's got Pixies. Ooh. Do My favourite Pixies album, hands down. Good reason. One of the first I heard, it was the first Pixies album I heard. And I remember lis- listening to it, like, I got it off my Uncle Baz for Christmas on my birthday or something like that, one year. And I remember, got to, I mean, it's only <coughs> 15 songs, not that well, it's not that long, because all the songs are like sub three minutes. Yeah. But when Gouge Away kicks in, <laughs> oh, I, I was like, kind of, one of those moments where you sit up and you're like, yeah. holy fuck. You just like stop what you're doing. Yeah, you're like, like, this is unreal. But I mean, when you, as we're talking about his Black Francis's wild fucking lyric topics, like he's got a song in here called Wave of Mutilation. Only the Pixies could come away with that and make it sound happy. Yeah. Because it's not a very sad song. It's quite like just lyric. Can you imagine yeah, like, like being at a Pixies concert and you're just jumping about singing that and then you. No, the amphitheater. But <laughs> yeah, I like stop <laughs> thinking like I'm singing about castration and mutilation. Yeah. Oh well, fuck it, it's the Pixies. Like, even Here Comes Your Man. That's about, like, something weird. I think it's like a dream he had. Where he, like, seen. Well, like, it's something to do with, uh, uh, holo- like, nuclear holocaust or something. Yeah. So it's a pretty weird record. Uh, but the hooks as well, the hooks they come oh, out with. Like, Debasa, Monkey Gun, Heaven. They're like uh, one of the hey. best. Like undeniably one of the best guitar-driven pop bands of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can't. They hate how much of a dirty word pop is. Exactly. Like these days, because in the eighties and nineties, pop was on fucking pop. Was pop. King. Yeah, man. Like you can't write hooks like these and not be kind of reference as a pop band. Yeah. In some some way capacity. Or not. Yeah. Because you are basically just confusing pop with the start of guitars. Yeah. Fair enough to talk about like castration and shit, like biblical violence and that. But you know, it's, it's still a pop <laughs> record. Ah like, oh, fuck. You alright? Yeah. <laughs> you and she stunted his hand. Yeah. It's been a very long morning of ramming myself into things. Um, Fucking four o'clock, mate. Uh, oh shit, it's four o'clock. Anyway, yeah, quite surrealist as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's a lot of like weird topics. Like he comes to sounds like his lyrics are never straightforward. Yeah. You can never listen to like, oh that's about X, Y, Z, whatever. Like, yeah, it's okay, not like, it's not like that here? fucking Mount Erie record. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm too sad. Anyway, yeah. What I, I, it's just one. I definitely one of my favorite albums of all time. It'll definitely come up on the list because it's just yeah. quite a, quite a, a pivotal record in music. In general, in my life especially, that it's, it, it won't not be there. Yeah, definitely, <coughs> definitely. So that's my number six, Pixies with Doolittle. My number six is a, a man's band who's come up a lot, especially when talking about the Pixies. It's the debut album from the one and only Nirvana, oh. Bleach. The Bleach is kind of, it doesn't get talked about as much as it's kind of younger brothers. And neither it should, to be honest, it's a lot more punk and dirty than what they would go Sludgy. on to yeah especially that opening bass line that kicks <coughs> off the album it's just soaked in distortion mm, basically Even invented doom metal <laughs> <laughs> yeah like on this album it's a very kind of 
different side of Nirvana. It feels like they've got a lot of ambition. And Kurt Cobain's always been able to write kind of massive pop songs, and that's like shown on here. But they are just drowned in noise, and I think that's what I love about it. It's not an easy listen. I mean, you've got uh, about a girl, and that's about as easy as the album gets. Yeah, that's so. I like stuff like Floyd the Barber, it's just like punishingly negative creep man. Yeah, well. negative creep shit like that's just punishing and what it does in its delivery of it. I mean, like I always say about Nirvana, they're a punk band who didn't play punk music, but this is as close as they came to doing punk. Oh, right. and you can definitely hear the influence that the kind of hardcore scene had on them. Like stuff like Black Flag can be heard on this. Oh yeah, like, a lot of Black Flag in this album. I think it's kind of hard to talk about this album without talking about what they would go on to do. But if you take this album for what it is, you're in for a good time, especially if you're someone who like likes Nevermind and likes In Utero. There's something for you here. But if for whatever reason you've never heard Nirvana, definitely start with A2, then work your way back to this. I think the most important album of this, e- or the most important song of this era for Nirvana was sliver or silver I can never remember which one it is the like single they did between silver. yeah silver which is just a pop song it sounds yeah. like like the way Kurt Cobain sings that it's kind of lullaby-ish yeah definitely like you can sing that it's to catchy as well yeah exactly yeah, it's not so these, fucking catchy songs aren't catchy but like yeah undeniable amount of catchiness in everything that Nirvana have done I think that's why they're like I think they're one of those bands we're talking about where people are eager to not like them because yeah. they were such a massive deal but there's a reason they were such a massive deal. I mean, they changed the face of rock music in the nineties, and this is where it started for them. But it's one of those things where, like, if you told me that the band who made this record would go on to be the biggest band in the world and take over the mainstream in a way that had never really been done before, I told you to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah, it's an album that it doesn't suit the environments that they went into, neither it should. This feels like it should be played in like audio in Glasgow and just like in your face. Ah, music. some scummy wee venue. Yeah, definitely. I think Nirvana always kind of had that vibe about them, but especially on this record, yeah. when it's as dirty and sludgy as it is with those like pop hooks laced in between them. I mean, what is it Kirk being said? Like, we're as much the Pixies as we are Black Flag. Yeah, I think so. And this is the album. Yeah. It's like the melding of those two things before they really knew how to properly do it. Yeah. Go do it. But that's not to understate it, because it's a fucking amazing album. I mean, look at the fucking like nine albums that have come before it. <laughs> nine albums, aren't they? On the list, I mean. Right? Oh, right. On the list, like, I was thinking about nine albums. I've rated it higher than all of them. No, no, no. I'm not a fucking moron. I am, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a fucking great record, especially if you're more into the punky stuff. Yeah. yeah There's a lot here for you. That's Nirvana's debut, Bleach. So and in the top five, you and what you got? Five. So, number five is uh, The Replacements, Let It Be. Oh, I've never listened to The Replacements, you actually. Should, man. It's like, the, it's like the most teenage album you'll ever hear. This album, Let It Be. It's just that's depressing because I'm twenty now. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I first learned uh, this a few years ago. Just a wee anecdote. I like I was talking to about my mum about something. I'm like, 
oh let me just have my teen angst and then I realised I'm 20 like oh shit I'm just a whiny adult now <laughs> I'm just a whiny wee boy in my 20s fuck yeah, but I, I don't know what that like that's like yeah it's coming you yeah, anyway replacements I just love this album like the only reason the only gripe I have with it is the fact that they cover Kiss for some reason hmm. but I didn't know it was Kiss when I first heard it I was like Shit, man, this has got a really good riff. It doesn't sound like anything on this album that strange. Oh well. They used to they used to play like, straightforward <laughs> hardcore punk stuff. Hell yeah. Yeah, because I know really them like, as like a punk band. Yeah, they didn't really like. It wasn't getting them anywhere, sort of thing. Yeah. So they used to play like covers to antagonise the audience, and I guess that's kind of part of why they stuck a fucking Kiss song in here. Black Diamond, if you haven't heard it. Yeah, it's just such a teenage teenage album it's dealing with like being an awkward rejected motherfucker yeah which i'm sure we've all we've all felt self-conscious and you know stuff like that it's just so well done and the the scuzziness and the the hairiness of the recording and the, the instruments and like the guitar solos and the, just the guitar tones in general sound like what teenage being a teenager feels like if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I get you. Like, there's kind of the clean bits and, like, the opening track, like, I Will Dare, and then you've got, like, Favourite Thing, and it hits out with this frantic fucking slashing of chords, and you've got uh, Androgyny, which is a nice piano ballad. Yeah. About being androgynous, which was quite cool back in <laughs> 1984, which kind of wasn't as cool, well, not cool, but not as uh, accepted as it is now. So, yeah. It's just, like, it's... Kind of like if the Beatles were punk, they'd probably produce this album. I'd say it's a pretty far stretch, but I definitely say that. Yeah. Because it's got that kind of pop sensibility where they've got the nice catchy choruses, but it's like buried, not buried, but like surrounded by these like hairy guitars. Yeah. And I think yeah, I guess it'd be would be like if the Beatles came out in 1984 <laughs> and had jam jackets pretty sick man I'll need to listen to them yeah I'd, I'd suggest listen to it if you're into uh, like the excerpts or Frightened Rabbit or um, bands like that kind of have that teenagery angst in some of their albums yeah. maybe moved on it now obviously because they've grown older but, uh, <coughs> if you're a teenager or I don't know under the age of 22 Thank you. Because you'll fucking enjoy it. Nay luck, Shona. Oh, sorry, Shona. <laughs> Big up Shona, she's got Wi Fi. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, well, yeah. what's hitting up at your number five slot? My number five is an album that I think is criminally, criminally underrated because of an album this band put out in the 90s. And this is the debut album from Slint Tweez. Oh. Now, I think the slint on display here are much different from the one that did Spiderland whereas on this it's a lot more eclectic and definitely a lot more weird in their musical direction as opposed to like because Spiderland's a really weird album in the way it's structured and the way the songs build and the I don't know any other names but the front man's lyrics the way like he tells stories on that none of that's really present here it's more just a kind of venting of like ideas and I think it works fucking fantastically well I mean when we're talking about Fugazi this is the other album I said that's like a massive influence on post hardcore yeah just because of that 
aspect of it where it was really all over the place. It kind of contained, I mean, the whole thing's eight songs done in half an hour. Steve Albini producing it, so it's got that kind of gruff, <coughs> punky thing, because this is Steve Albini when he was playing in Big Black, and that's the kind of thing. So he did not give a single fuck. Exactly. So that's what kind of slint do here. Uh, every song on it's named after their parents. Four of them, four of them, eight tracks, so they've named every track after like one of their parents, with the exception of one, which is named after the boys Doug. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't recommend starting with this one really enough. I'd say go if you've not heard them before, which I know is a lot of people listen to Spiderland first, and then jump back to this. I mean, they're two very different albums, and it's kind of weird to think that they're the same band. But I do think it is a fucking travesty that no one ever seems to talk about this. Because yeah, I only heard of them for the first time a couple months ago. Yeah. I'm not listening to Spiderland recently. Yeah, but they're a fucking great band, man. Definitely very, very important on post hardcore. I mean, one of my favourite bands of all time, Self Defence Family. There's a lot of oh, slint in what they do, especially when they were end of a year and they were doing more kind of straightforward DC style. Hardcore stuff, there's a lot of like weird slinty bits in that. I mean, it's another one of those things where you might not like them, but your favourite band do. Yeah. Like, horribly influential upon music. And like, this album, there's a lot of like kind of builds in it, where it's like that kind of post rock slash techno kind of thing, where it's like one repeated bit that like builds on it and builds and builds. Oh, right. but it's done in a punkier way, of course. I mean, like around this time, they recorded their self-titled EP that didn't come out until they split up, and that's just a post-rock EP. Uh. So, yeah, Slint are a very, a very weird band. I think if you've Absolutely got, if you've got any stuff. passing interest in post-punk or post-hardcore, you need to listen to Slint. I'll try. Please do. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, number four. Number four. You're gonna love this. It's the Smiths. Oh, he's, he's left. See you later, Liz. Oh, he's away to the kettle. Nah, I'm kidding. I'm sure. <laughs> the Smiths Queen is dead. Boom! 1986. Shut your fucking hole. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna sit on my phone. Yeah. Let me, let me know when you're finished. Okay. So, a band that is like Marmite. You either love them or you hate them. I love the Smiths. I used to really be really really into them. I actually seen Morrissey when he played Dunoon in two thousand fucking shit eleven. I think. Oh, you egged them. Nah, man, we did get searched in the door for some reason. In case we had a packet of smoky bacon crisps or something hiding in our jean pocket. Yeah, Queen said it. I'd say the pinnacle Morrissey, Mar Johnny Mar songwriting collaboration. It's it's just flawless, like. All the songs are just like a world unto themselves. The opening track, the Queen is Dead, is unreal. The intro, guitar, and they're just powering drums, driving bass line, and Morrissey coming in with his usual usual self and all his uh, anti-royalist lyrics, which is always makes for a good lesson. Surely you can side with him on that, Lewis. Hmm? You're an anti-royalist. Too much an arsehole. Too much an arsehole. Right. <laughs> I, wish, I wish Dylan was here to back me up for Declan or Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss here. Anyway, I just, yeah, 
it was the the next the next three albums. It was potentially going to be in the top three. But I decided against it because I thought I the album that comes after yeah the album that comes after this is kind of better, more influential. Me, the Smith is like something I look upon like something I love. It'll kind of be able to replicate because even they can't replicate it. They could they could struggle to replicate the guitar tones because it's just such a precise uh, like in the moment kind of songwriting uh, recording kind of process and yeah I just fucking love it I mean the lyrics are unreal uh, I'll give him that he writes good lyrics yeah you go from woeful to, to funny to truly heartfelt ones over a matter of like three songs I mean you go from his vocals fucking suck though okay Lewis <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just do think it's ridiculous musicianship and fantastic songwriting as well, especially in like the acoustic, not the acoustic ones, uh, there's kind of slower ones like uh, I Know It's Not Over and uh, There Is A Light That Never Goes Out and stuff like that. And uh, like Big Mouth Strikes Again as well. Like it's just a fantastic use of songwriting and it's peak, peak 80s indie. So that kind of comes under the umbrella of uh, like the cure and that because they were all about the same time. Robert Probably. Smith would kick shit out of Morrissey. Yeah. Probably. Mo- Robert Smith looks harder. He was from... Where was he from again? Like London or something? Aye, uh, I think so. Yeah, he's probably harder than Morrissey. Morrissey's wee Manchester. Fucking weeaboo bastard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my number four. The Smith's Queen is dead. Welcome back, Lewis. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you catch me in the street, ask me about my disdain for the Smiths, because it's not a place for the microphones. Cause no, definitely not. We're at never 25, we could go on for another hour about my hatred for the Smiths, and Morrissey in particular. So we're not going to do that. My number four is Rites of Spring, self-titled. Now, if you're one of these wee weirdos, and listens to the Black Parade and goes, this is the, in 2017. This is the, this is the fucking best emo album ever written. This is this is amazing. This is emo. You're wrong, right? Because it's <laughs> <laughs> right to spring. Wrong. Right to spring along with Ian MacKay's Embrace, uh, two of the bands who kickstarted the whole emo thing. As much as I get, Ian MacKay has this thing, a horrible habit of starting scenes and then, then disregarding them. Because on like the album in Rites of Spring, which is interestingly enough, Fugazi is a like melting of the minds between Guy Pucciato mm-hmm. and yeah, Ian Mackay. So Guy Pucciato is the front man of Rites of Spring. I think it's what sets them apart from their hardcore bands at the time was that they wanted to make music that people couldn't batter each other to. Because it become just a thing, as it is kind of now. The fights would just erupt at hardcore shows and a lot of bands went, nah, fuck that. So they started more dark, melancholic bands and Rites of Spring are the most important of that period of emo music. Usually, even like, uh, if you want to call My Chemical Romance emo, you don't get that without Rites of Spring, you don't get Captain Jazz, you don't get American Football. You don't get fucking modern baseball where rates of spring further True. down the line. You don't get any of this shit where it, although the music's kinda departed from the kinda thing rates of spring do, which is a lot more straight I don't wanna call it straightforward in the slightest, but it's got got a lot more in common with minor threat than it does with fucking turnover. 
you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just it's one of the albums where the album art kind of gives a good indication of what you're in for because the album art in this is really weird and dark and you're not entirely sure what's going on and that's the vibe that this album carries along with it yeah and again if you like emo music and you've not heard this I don't know what you're fucking doing because this is like definitely an important band and there's a lot more rights of spring in Fugazi than there is minor threat in Fugazi like this feels like an essential stepping stone to what went on in that that band and while they're at it they just so happen to start one of my favourite genres of all time <laughs> that's do have a good emo sesh over here don't we oh we definitely do love being sad you got your love rights of spring what did you make of this album I listened to yeah I listened to like, a couple of tracks from it this morning and it's it's just so like it is the foundation of emo. Yeah, I was listening to Spring before you came in. Yeah. Yeah, I just finished Spring, and uh, I want to get I want to get really stuck into it because yeah, they're a band who like get better with repeat listens. They're definitely worth the effort. Yeah, absolutely. It's got a thing that's kind of associated with nineties metalcore, where it sounds like it was recorded in a pure dank basement. Yeah, and then they were in black. Yeah, it's just a really dark record, but within that boundary of DC hardcore. Right. And like, that's the kind of thing that End of a Year slash Who Went On To Be Self Defense Family did. I mean, they're named after an Embrace song. Yeah. So, like, Rights of Spring and Embrace are two of the biggest influences on that band. And I think it's quite obvious listening to this album why you'd go for that as a style. It's not really something that was done much. It's just weird, like saying it like started a genre and shit is really weird in the sense that this kind of emo, like I know, like folk from back in the day call it like emo core for emotional hardcore. Emotional hardcore. So it's not really the sound of it isn't something that carried on as much as the ideology and the sentiments of it carried on. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, for an album of this fucking quality to come out in the 80s still staggers me. And I can say that for my next three as well. <laughs> We're in for a good time with this top three. Top, top three. Yeah, Rights of Spring, self-titled. If you're into any, emo in any capacity and you've not heard this, yeah, please do. Right, so beginning my top three, it's the one, the fucking only, Bruce Springsteen. Born in the USA. Fuck. Oh, what an album I'm so gutted I probably will talk about it in the my best of all time I wish Danny podcast. wasn't in New York and I'd yeah. phone him or Skype him <laughs> I'd phone him the now and get him to oh he'll sing the praises of the yeah. boss <laughs> like obviously Born to Run wasn't released in, it was released in 75 so I can't yeah. talk about this podcast but I will talk about it undeniably in the all time podcast Aye. but yeah like there was a time Two, two, three years ago, and I was like, Bruce Springsteen has always been one of those artists that I'm like, yeah, I really like what he does, but I never really listened to it. Yeah. So I got like, Born to Run, Nebraska, and The Rising. Yeah. No, I got The Greatest Hits first. I listened to that. I was really, really, like, got so into it. And then I got yeah. like, Born to Run, Born to USA. But Born to USA, there's not a bad song on this. I fucking challenge you. You can maybe say, maybe say one or two are like they're good, but they're not as good as fucking 
Dance in the Dark, Glory Days, Bobby Jean, Cover Me, Burning USA, I'm On Fire. Yeah, but they're still fantastic songs. Bruce Springsteen is one of the greatest songwriters of all time, and this record is just one of his fucking however many records he's got out that shows this. I mean, the fact that it really annoys me the fact that people think Burning USA is about all being, you know, really, na- you know, what's the word I'm looking for? National Patri- Patriot. Yeah, Patriot. Well, it's not, is it more of a... No, it's, it's about a, a veteran from Vietnam yeah, realising that... Denouncing the USA. Over. Yeah. I think that's why like, the Americans love it. Yeah, I was born in the USA. Yeah, I was born in the USA. <laughs> yeah, my government's shit. Or, well, I'm going to say it was shit. Fuck communism. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just, I can't get over it. Yeah. I've said this about three albums in this podcast. Like, I'll never... Bruce Springsteen will be... I just fucking love Bruce Springsteen. The the album, the songwriting, the caliber of songwriting this album, and the fact that he kind of incorporates kind of keyboards into it because it was always usually like piano driven kind of uh, parts instead of like keyboards. But the fact that he's he's adapting to like the eighties uh, musical climate really well. It's not like most bands like say. Like metal bands in the eighties when new metal came along, like oh we need to do a new metal album and they all sucked. The nineties, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like no, like bands in the eighties, like the smaller bands like Skid Row and like Wasp and stuff like that. I'm yeah. sure they did like new metal albums. Oh yeah, went on to yeah, yeah, like, yeah. went on to do new metal albums and Slayer and they the all biggest. sucked. Slayer, the worst offenders of that. Yeah, fuck I, or Metallica if you want to call, Load and. Reloading uh, and yeah. new metal. That's an argument for an day. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole lot of podcast. But yeah, born in the USA, I can't go over it. I mean, you can't, you can't write songs like Dance in the Dark and I'm on Fire and not be expected to be held as one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Yeah, Springsteen kind of passed me by, to be honest. Like, I'm not really too keen. I'm not keen. You actually suggest that I've listened to it and not liked it. I'm not in on his back catalogue. Like, I know the singles. Yeah. I quite like the singles, but I think I just kind of got fast tracked to the men's singles. <laughs> yeah, like again, like his influence on on the music we listen to is undeniable. Like desserts, Menzingers, uh, Frank Turner, probably modern baseball as well. I'd say yeah. that kind of because he does like a lot of the uh, kind of big ensemble pieces that kind of drive home like being proud, like just like kind of the love and loss kind of. Lyrical topic is always a big, big uh, point in his his uh, songwriting. Yeah, but yeah, number three. This could have been number one. In fact, any of the top three could be my number one, regardless, because the next two are absolute fucking bangers. Yeah, born in the USA, the Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I'll re- I'll repeat that sentiment for my top three. Like these can come in any order. Yeah, it just so happens this is the order that I've put them down on this particular day. Yeah. My number three is the debut album from one of my favourite bands of all time, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. Oh. Now, Nine Inch Nails, oh. to a lot of people, when they hear that they think closer, not much else. But this album is, it's just, it's technically synth pop, but it's synth pop doused in oil. Yeah, and then a match being flung at it. Yeah, it's fucking dark and horrible as most Nine Inch Nails projects are because Trent Reznor is a fucking mad genius <laughs> Maniac I think this album he did most of it himself as he does with most most Nine Inch Nails stuff of the time 
been the only sole member and it's a very much an insight to what was going through the man's head at this time before anyone really gave a fuck about what was going on in the man's head. Is there a story behind this album? Uh, not really an interesting one. No, it's just a bit of a... He was like, as far as I know, he was like a janitor in a studio. <laughs> Whenever the studio wasn't open, he'd make demos. That's and he sick. took those demos to like producers that he loved in the kind of industrial scene and made this album. It's like, it is like Nine Inch Nails are an industrial album, but they're an, indu- an industrial album, or an industrial band with pop sensibilities. Yeah. It's like some of the choruses on this for a fucking debut album are huge. Fucking undeniable. It's such a like stylish record, but it's a really like, the style is like smoking a cigarette dressed in all black down a back alley somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's pure fucking, dark, yeah, underground kind of thing. Disgustingly dark. I mean, if you listen to the song like "Terrible Lie" and don't get that chorus stuck in your head, I, yeah. don't, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you, man. Cause it's amazing. Like, oh, again, it's got that really kind of like bouncy, stylish synth-based thing, but it sounds like it was carved out of obsidian. Mm. It's so fucking gnarly and so dark. And it was that's probably the best uh, <laughs> description of that song I've ever heard. But it does feel like this album was like the precursor to better things to come, which we'll get to next week. Next well, week, you know. <laughs> probably next year. Yeah, the rate we make podcasts. Yeah, uh, Nine Inch Nails. I don't really know what to say about them. That hasn't been said. I mean, they're fucking. They're like what we'll say is they're one of the biggest bands in the world still, and I don't know why, because <laughs> like music like this is so antagonising, so dark. Not like so like, so like sleazy, yeah, but not in the kind of glossy Guns N' Roses way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like it's like, oh, like Guns N' Roses way is like, oh, we're so cool, we're fucking bums and taking drugs, but that's that's yeah, Reds was like, yeah, but with Guns N' Roses, like, oh, we're taking drugs and sleeping with women and not giving a shit because we're cool. This is like, I'm taking drugs and I'm sleeping with countless women because I'm in a fucking hole yeah. and it's all I can do and it's all that I can do that makes me feel something that's a good thing love that <laughs> yes, I, I mean it ends with the song Get Down Make Love which should it's not a funk track it's no 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 it track. sounds like it might be but it's a very it's definitely not a cool very dark song and like the sample at the start of it's really twisted as well it's like a guy shouting at some girl about losing her virginity and like asking her to go into details about what happened and shit like you don't get the details but it's him just like antagonising this woman that's disturbing it's fucking it's fucking heavy duty but really really cool album if you like synth pop and you've got you've got depression yeah (laughs) if you like synth pop and you've got a taste for the darker things in life this is a match made in heaven because it's a melding of kind of 80s standard like synth pop big hang in the 80s it's a melding with that with pure bleak darkness yeah I think it's fucking incredible for a like for a guy to bring this out as a debut album and what he would go on to do (coughs) it's fucking mind blowing I love Nine Inch Nails and this is where the fucking story starts for them yeah and it only gets worse and by worse I mean much fucking better from here So that was your number three. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. So my number two, we've got Slayer, Red and Blood. Fuck. 
number two. Fuck. I feel I feel yes. bad trying. I feel bad trying to claim I'm the Grebo and I had this at number three. Number 13. two, man. <laughs> that, that's why I was so surprised. Like I thought I'd easily in your top five. Like it's the heaviest album ever. <laughs> it's, it's up there. It's definitely Fucking up, there. up there. It's definitely up there. <coughs> it's just ridiculous. I'll never forget the first time I heard it. I was in my roommates and a long time friend, long time pain in the arse. Jason's sister's flat in Ibrox at the time. Big up Jason, I'm sure he listens to this. Yeah, I think he's one of the only people that do, so. Big up Jason, my man. Uh, (laughs) I listened to this quite drunk at a very young age. (laughs) And, uh, like, best half hour of my life, being drunk and listening to Slayer. You know, like when I first heard Slayer, it was again Guitar Hero. And I hated them because it was so hard to play. Yeah, what was it? What was <laughs> rain it? and blood. Rain and blood. Or raining blood, sorry. Rain not and rain blood, and blood. Yeah, like out of the four, like the big four thrash uh, bands, this is Slayer and undoubtedly the best. Yeah, by a mile. Like, they I mean, they just took what the like because all all the kind of big four kind of came out the same kind of same scene, same scene, same influences. Like the new wave of British metal and maybe some hardcore stuff as well, like Venom. Yeah, and stuff like Black Flag. Yeah, and like Slayer just. Motorhead are a huge influence on this kind of music. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Slayer just took that and ramped it up to fucking two twenty BPM, and just went fucking all out. Like Angel of Death is an opening track, and then you've got Rain and Blood, you've got Criminalines, Criminaline. Oh fucking hell. Criminally insane. <laughs> you got there on the end. Fucking, like the, even the even the title tracks without hearing them, you know they're gonna be fucking disgusting. <laughs> like in the best possible way. Yeah. Like it's, I'd say it's one of the, probably the best metal albums. Yeah, ever. I was gonna say it's one of the most metal albums ever written. And the most mm. metal heavy metal albums yeah. ever written. And it's like the guitar playing on it is ridiculous. It's just a next level thing. Like you've got like Hammett and uh, Mustaine from Megadeth and Metallica, and it's like technical. Not that not that this isn't technical, but it's like more obviously technical. Yeah, this is just more about the punching it gives you. Than yeah, like, like <coughs> Rain and Blood, like the, the soul and that is just like squeals yeah. of fucking hate and, and evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean this album is just as you said evil. Yeah, it's one hundred percent evil. You can't really not write an album about fucking. Nazis and all sorts of that. And the artwork is like literally a depiction of hell. Yeah, (laughs) you can't really write an album about that topic and not be deemed the most evil band out. Yeah. Know what I mean? One of of Rick Rubin's finest moments. Oh, the production is just unreal. Which is like, I can imagine it'd be really quite hard to to produce this kind of music. I mean, I'm not really getting a background in production myself, but. Hence why it's always such a ready yeah. to do this. <laughs> uh, hence, like I've recorded myself, but it's not been me that's doing the production. So yeah. I can imagine that. I mean, Rick Rubin's a god. Mm-hmm. He can do whatever. He can make a pile of shit into diamonds if he wanted to. And uh, yeah, like it's fucking Slayer, man. What more do you want me to say? It's fucking Slayer. Know. There you go, that's my number two. Look out for more Slayer next week. Yes. Uh, talking about Rick Rubin, my number two. Beastie Boys License to Ill. Yeah! And Kel, yeah. what we're saying about NWU, hip hop, having to have 
like that kind of braggadocious swagger about it. I don't think any band have ever done this better than the Beastie Boys. The one of the yeah, they did, it, they did it in like a, a daft way. Yeah, that kind of. For lack of a less Scottish yeah. term. That kind of, just in New York swagger all over this. It feels like he's going to fucking just. This album's going to come up, muggy, and then walk away with your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> While, like, on his way to a party or some shit. Hell yeah. But, I, they're a band like the kind of important point I always make is that some of the biggest bands in the world have their roots in hardcore and Beastie Boys started out as a hardcore band before tying it to go on to do this which is just one of the most it's just one of the most absurd hip hop albums ever made but in such it's a fucking, fucking brilliant so way I mean the opening track samples oh, what's the tune Sweetleaf by Black Sabbath like, oh, fuck it, so the does. beat for that tune is made around a sample of that with the Beastie Boys New York just spitting venom all over it it's fucking incredible man I mean that New York vibe is something that still I think it can make an, a good band into a great band it's just this was a debut as well yeah this was the first album they were all like 1920 yeah, sure. released in 1986 and that's their first yeah. album yeah you know that you can often tell that, you're, that, you're, that they were young so yeah. really songs like Girls and uh, Brass Monkey, two of the weirdest songs out. Yeah, I think that's a good point about Girls. I mean, like, kind of the messages on it are not something I really agree with. And like, but I don't care how hardcore a feminist you are, which should be very, by the way. Yeah. But like, that's just a fun song. Like this little fucking. Street. I don't think it would. No harm is meant. Meant, I don't think. Yeah, this, this just we like street rat talking about how he wants a girl to look after him. I mean, it's just fun. I don't think there's any like serious foundations around no, it. Probably not, but it's fucking amazing. And then you've got like that run of three for me is outstanding. Girls, which I get is one of the most like daft tracks ever. Like I put it on before we recorded, and you just looked at me like what? But you <laughs> that into fucking fight for your right. The transition and, is and flawless. In no sleep till Brooklyn. I mean, they two like two of the biggest singles ever, probably, and not even in the Beastie Boys catalogue. Uh, like not the biggest in the Beastie Boys catalogue. I mean, like fight for your right to party. It's kind of spits in the face of people with the mentality that they sing. Like that was the point of the song. It was a joke against these people who just go out and get fucked all the time and just do whatever they will or whatever they need to do to party. And then those people adopted the song as like their anthem. And they're sitting there like, ah, oh, bastard, but no. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but uh, oh, there's something else. And like I no sleep till Brooklyn, Kerry King, of Slayer doing the guitar solo, it's fucking hard as nails, man. I mean, like this whole album, it is hard. You can see it like popping off. Yeah. And like in a club, if you saw these songs, you would go fucking mental. Like, imagine seeing that these guys, the Beastie Boys, in like fucking stereo or audio or something. Yeah. Like, that would be fucking chaos, man. Yeah, and like the three of them, they're all so unique. They yeah. all have like their own personalities, and the trade-off that they do with it within the songs is always incredible. They really, like they always just seem to like know exactly when to pick up. It's just like a constant barrage of these free, just like New York street thugs just in your face. And it's fucking Coming at you around about you. Yeah, I mean, like obviously N.W.A. is a lot more grounded in reality in this album. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this one's more important to hip hop. Yeah. Like given the time. Yeah. I think this is like undeniably 
one of the most influential hip hop records of all time. Yeah, that would be twice fucking real, that's right. Yeah, I think this is my favourite Beastie Boys album. I'm not too sure. I know it's not theirs. Like, cause even by the time that ill communication came out, they'd stop playing stuff off it. Oh really? Yeah. Just cause they were, as we said, wee boys. <laughs> but it's got it's that charm to it. It's that youthful New York charm that I fucking love about this album. And you can like hear the punk influence on them. Like, and it always felt like in cause they got massive off of this. It always felt like they didn't belong where they were put. Yeah. And, like, it was such a weird band to get big yeah. sort of thing because it's not like it was playing on any conventional like commercial kind of genre yeah it's like what we uh, properly you know like it's not like they were doing straight up rap or straight up <coughs> uh, yeah. rock or whatever like we were talking about this before we recorded there's a picture from around this time of the Beastie Boys sitting on a piano with a bottle of champagne pouring it down Madonna's throat <laughs> some boys yeah just <laughs> Can't really fall for that, yeah. Yeah, no, I imagine you look at them and you go, like, you're, you're from New York. You cannot be from anywhere else in the fucking planet. No. Yeah, it's just, but you know what their good pizza is. Oh, definitely, man. You seem like they fucking love pizza. <laughs> fucking good boys, man. Got to give props to the Beastie Boys whenever I can. Oh, yeah. I mean, second best album in the 80s for me. Where do you want? Okay. So it's time. Truth. It's time. Do a run through. Your list okay. So okay. So number fifteen, we had uh, Sonic Youth with Daydream Nation, and after that, we had uh, NWA Straight Outta Compton. Number fourteen, ACDC with Back in Black at number thirteen. Tom Head Rain Light, number twelve. Jesus and the Mary Chain with Psycho Candy at number eleven. And at the top ten, we've got Metallica Ride the Lightning. At nine, we've got The Cure with Disintegration. Number eight, we've got uh, GNR, I said GNR. <laughs> uh, Guns N' Roses, that's what I've got written down, GNR. Guns N' Roses, that's for destruction. Number seven, for Gaz, with 13 songs. Pixies, and number six, with Doolittle. The Replacements, with Let It Be, number five. The Smiths, Queen Is Dead, number four. Number three, we've got Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. And number two, we've got Slayer, by Rain and Blood. And at number one, we've got the man, fucking Prince. With purple vein. Yep. <laughs> Holy shit. Don't need to say anything else. <laughs> no. You probably no. should. <laughs> yeah, probably should to justify that that big entrance. It's purple. Right, see you next week. <laughs> yeah. Bye. It's purple rain the Magnum Opuses to end all Magnum Opuses. Like name another album that is, is grandiose and is fucking batshit crazy, but all the while one of the best pop albums of all time. Lift your skinny fists like antennas to heaven. <laughs> the grandiose bit, yeah, probably. But not the, the fact that I had like seven singles from it. No, five singles from it. Which are all bangers. And uh, I mean, Purple Rain, the title track, uh, somebody showed it to me uh, or shared it with me when, when Prince died uh, last year, RIP. And it's a uh, a live recording of uh, them performing Purple Rain at a Minnesota club. Can't remember what the club's name is, but uh, that performance was the majority of the actual recorded track. They recorded the, f- the guitars, bass, drum, keyboards, I'm assuming, and vocals that night Aye. live. That's wild. And uh, like did some overdubs and you know some polishing bits <coughs> in the studio, but. 
more or less that was live and if that doesn't convince you that this is one of the best albums of the 80s I don't know what will like the musicianship is much more can I can talk much more, much more straightforward than his other stuff because Prince is pretty weird that's, that's undeniable he's, he's, he's yeah. a pretty strange fellow but it's more straightforward more kind of uh, embedded in like funk and R&B and blues and kind of just general rock with his like guitar playing and like let's go crazy or um Take Me With You and uh, I Would Die For You, you know, there's some synth, synth sounds uh, of the 80s, kind of specific like drum machines and synthesizers in there that is just like, they've not aged badly, you think a lot of stuff from the 80s, you're like, oh that was from the 80s because of all the stupid fucking synth sounds it has, but yeah. this isn't aged at all, this is timeless, this record, I mean even like when dubs cry, there's no bass in that song, there's no bass guitar on that song, it's just a drum machine keyboards and uh, guitar and him singing it's just like he, he, he only he, only Prince could get away with that like having a song that's just so sparse on one of the biggest selling albums of the 80s of all time one of the most critically lauded albums of the 80s of all time yeah. only he would get away with that like, have, you, have you listened to it? yeah of course no yeah. thing <laughs> course I've heard Prince I think, no, I mean, like, like this album. Yeah, like, based on this album, I think one thing Prince does not get enough credit for is how brilliant a guitarist he is. No, not at all. He like, does not he get enough credit. He's so underrated. One of the best ever to pick up fucking strings, man. One of the best to pick up any instrument he tries his he hand do at. it all. Yeah, there's, like, those videos of him doing gigs where he'll just, like, drop the guitar and he'll walk around the stage and be like, right, bassist, I'm playing that now. Or, like, right, drummer, aff. And he'll do it and he'll fucking outstage he's already a fantastic band yeah like no, one one of the, some of the best players out there really? some of the best players out at that time yeah and he would still show them up like, this is, I, this is uh, <laughs> there's only two no three songs credited to just Prince yeah. and then the rest are Prince and the Revolution which is the band at the time and his first I think maybe two or three albums it was just him <coughs> doing everything but yeah. like and it's not noticeable until maybe you're, you get told that <coughs> but this album you can tell it's like in a band a band album, not just like a Prince album. It's definitely like a band album because you can hear, I don't know, the cohesiveness better because obviously you can, yeah. they were playing live, especially Purple Rain. Like, as you were saying, underrated guitar player. The fact that he built up a fucking solo live. Yeah, night after probably night. Probably improvised yeah. it. Holy shit. Yeah. You cannot fucking do that. Only Prince can do that. Yeah, he's some dead man. Also, he's fun fact. He's like such an individual. Yeah. Like, There's no one else like him. Yeah. He never will be. Exactly, man. You're truly one of a kind. Yeah, and just a, a wee, a wee factoid. The lyrics on "Darling Nikki," which opened uh, with, uh, I think it was like "Darling Nikki, she's a sex fiend" or something. Other like <laughs> reason, or one of the part of the reason that there was a parental advisory sticker on albums now, which is pretty badass. Yeah, like the, was it, badness or something like that used to call. Yeah, I mean, it's fucking Prince, man. What more do you want me to say? Some boy. He's just. Everything in this album is absolutely flawless. Absolutely flawless. And you'll probably see more of him in the all time kind of list we're going to do. And then this album? Oh. Uh, potentially. Uh, the self titled one is a, fucking, a favourite of mine. There's some absolute bangers in there and some fantastic instrumentation. Uh, and the fact that he produced an album every year of the 80s, bar <laughs> 1983. It was a pretty hard choice. All of sublime quality. <laughs> uh, yeah, like 1999 and Around the World in a Day, 
the Batman soundtrack would no we will not talk about that no <laughs> but there's like Parade I think it was 1988 or something like that also my mum's seen Prince Prince at the park big up your mum I know big up Fiona I'm acting mad anyway what is your number one so, right we'll do a rattle through first 15 I had the bad brain self-titled 14 Dinosaur Junior you're living all over me 13 Slayer Rain and Blood 12 Minor Threat Out of Step 11 Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction 10 The Cure Kiss Me Times 3 <laughs> Pixies Surfer Rosa Number 9 Number 8 Jane's Addiction Nothing Shocking Number 7 NWA Straight Outta Compton 6 Nirvana Bleach 5 Slint Tweez 4 Rites of Spring Self Titled 3 Nine Inch Nails Pretty Hate Machine Number two, Beastie Boys, License to Ill. And number one, I think the band who perfected that balance between influential and incredible, Fugazi, 13 songs. Oh! <laughs> I mean, yes, it's technically not an album, but when it's as iconic as this is, you can't not count it. And I mean, for everything this did for punk, for funk, for alternative rock, for hardcore, for post-hardcore. DIY ethic. You fucking name it. Since Fugazi came about, any band who's picked up guitars has had influence from Fugazi. Absolutely. Absolutely. Getting uh, the embodiment of that, you probably might not like them, but your favourite band fucking adores them. Absolutely. Um, They're a band who... I personally can... If I want to listen to Fugazi, I can listen to the full discography in a sitting. Oh yeah, I mean, nah. how long must it be, like, three hours? Yeah, it's a fucking long one, man, there's like, oh, seven or eight albums? And they're all clocking out of that, 20, 20 minutes, half an hour? Nah, like 40, 50. Yeah? Yeah. Fugazi, they fucking long songs, then. But, yeah, 13 songs is where all that started. I think it shows, like, straight away with waiting room, the quality of the musicianship in this record is unparalleled man I mean all four of them batter off in all cylinders I mean like even the fucking guy Pucciato at this time he wasn't a guitarist like his role in the band was a backing vocalist who did nothing else yeah which is a really weird kind of thing it wasn't until Repeater that he picked up the guitar oh really so yeah it's just guitar bass drums Ian Mackay shouting Guy Pucciato shouting one of the most like eclectic displays of 13 songs ever committed to recording I think like I know where to fucking start with Fugazi man They're, like I suppose 13 songs are a fucking good place to do it <laughs> yeah, they're, they're only output in the 90s or 80s we'll definitely cover them a lot more in the 90s yeah. because that's when they were at their most interesting and we'll definitely talk about them in the 2000s with our final album I mean, as a final album, that's some place to start, and it's some fucking journey from 13 songs to the argument. Yeah. So, like, as a starting point, like, to me, this is one of their weaker albums. It's my favourite album of the 80s. I come on to fuck. Uh, without a doubt, one of my favourite bands. And I think for a band to have their roots in hardcore, and for, like, as we said about Rights of Spring and Embrace, Ian McKay and Guy Pucciato wanting to, like, alright, you can't fight at our shows so we're going to make music you can't fight to. This is as far removed from hardcore as you can get while still being a a post-hardcore band. Yeah, I mean, like, 
everything about Fugazi I fucking adore. Like the Reefos, where it was all DIY, they never did merch because they didn't want to have to bring someone on tour to sell merch for them because their whole thing was keeping everything as cheap as possible. Yeah. And that sounds like stingy, but it's more from the fans' perspective. So, like, they'd always try and make their tickets $5 or £5 if they were over here. So, like, everyone could go out and see Fugazi if you moshed and you antagonised people at their shows. They stopped playing and Ian McKay would ask you to leave. What a fucking disrespect that must have been. Imagine being one of those guys, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian McKay. Jamie Jaster from Hatebreed got chucked out of a Gazi show by Ian McKay. Fuck off. <laughs> he did. Like in the 90s. Yeah, man. Big fucking meathead bastard. <laughs> yeah, I think all 13 of these songs are fucking unbelievable. Flawless, man. Flawless. Yeah, dude. It's such a good collection of music. And it's not even one of my favourite Fugazi albums. It's just far and away what the best album of the nineties eighties for me. Yeah. Bar Beastie Boys and Nine Inch Nails, which I could have had. But I for the importance of it and how much I love Fugazi. Like as soon as I press play in this and I hear that bass the waiting room, I know I'm in for a fucking belter. Yeah. And I can't help but just binge the rest of the albums because it's such an addictive back catalogue of such interest and amazing music. Unique. Yeah, definitely unique. There's bits of Fugazi and like everything, but only Fugazi or Fugazi. I, I mean, like, it, like my favorite band ever was Rage Against the Machine, and it wasn't until I listened to Fugazi I was like, oh, <laughs> <that is> <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> like on this alone, you can hear it. You can hear the influence in Rage Against the Machine, Self Defense Family, fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers, Biffy Clyro, Excels, What you name it. Fugazi have influenced it. Absolutely. And what they put out some of the best albums of all time doing it, and it's gonna fucking break my heart having to pick one for next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a long week. It is man, I don't even know where I'm gonna start putting together the list for that Ian. Well I've got a pre- pre- preliminary list. But it's like twenty three albums mm. long man, and I don't know how I'm gonna whittle that down. We'll see what we hit out with. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so cheers. I definitely, probably will be. Definitely, probably. Fucking hell. (laughs) I I need my bed. (laughs) Cheers for joining us in this first part of the greatest albums of all time. Starting at the 80s, so we're not doing every decade ever and spending forever. We'll probably, maybe you go back and do a wee, like, bonus. 60s and 70s. Yeah, pre 80s, get the 50s. There's a lot of albums in the 70s that are pretty good. Yeah. But then there's a lot of 60s and there's a lot of 50s. <laughs> yeah, we might do one day a wee special, but yeah, next week we've got the best albums in the 90s, which I think is going to be one of the best things we'll ever do. Like, I think. Rival in the Shugazi one. Yeah, definitely. I think the 90s special might be better than the greatest of all time. Who knows? Just what? because knows? there's so much to talk about in the 90s. I mean, it's You can't say there's so much to talk about in the 90s than talk about of all time, because that one clearly. No, but you know what I mean? Like, isolated. Oh, I talking about the 90s you know yeah. what I mean I mean that was the decade that rock music took over the world <laughs> exactly for better or for worse who knows well it's definitely for better as we'll get to well, you ever had a bush mate bush are alright mate I, yeah. thought, I thought with bush really yeah okay. glistening's a fucking screamy reaction <laughs> anyway get listening to all these have a think of your favourite 90s albums we'll put our lists on Spotify, uh, our twitter page at Abusive IT Pod. 
Hell yeah, what a plug. We'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that later on. Give, give folk time to listen to it. Aye. But yeah, cheers for joining us for these last two hours. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next week for like fucking 12 hours. <laughs> Bye. Catch you.